I'm going to call this meeting to order. Uh, good morning, everyone, uh, and welcome to the May 15th, 2014 meeting of the Board of Supervisors Neighborhood Services and Safety Committee. My name is David Campos, and I'm the chair of the committee. We are joined today by committee member, Supervisor Norman Yee, uh, Supervisor Eric Marr, the vice chair of the committee, is on his way. He'll be here shortly. The clerk of the committee is Derek Evans, and I'd like to uh, thank the following members of SFGTV staff who are covering this meeting, Jesse Larson and Jim Smith. Uh, we have one item on the agenda today, uh, but let's begin. Mr. Clerk, do we have any announcements? Yes, thank you, Mr. Chair. Please make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices. Completed speaker cards and copies of documents to be included in the file should be submitted to the clerk. Items acted upon today will appear on the June 3rd, 2014 Board of Supervisors agenda, unless otherwise stated. Thank you. If you can please call our item. The item is an ordinance revising the health care security ordinance to require all health care expenditures to be made irrevocably to establish the city public benefit program known as the Health Care Access Assistance Program to assist the public benefits available under three component programs, Healthy San Francisco, Covered San Francisco, and Health Care Access Accounts to set certain eligibility requirements for program participants and to set an operative date of October 1st, 2014. Thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to begin by thanking all of the members of the audience who are here on this item, uh, but I also want to acknowledge the, all the work that has gone into this uh, legislation, and I specifically want to thank uh, my staff, uh, Hillary Ronan, uh, my chief of staff, for all the work that she's been doing on this for many, many years. We also want to thank our city attorney's office, uh, for their incredible work, uh, and uh, I know that it's been a long time, uh, a lot of energy, so uh, Sherry, John, thank you very much um, for your work. Before I get into a description of what this ordinance does, this ordinance does I want to step back a little bit uh, and talk uh, about uh, what the intended impact of this legislation is. There is now there's now a federal mandate in this country that requires individuals to purchase health insurance. If someone is subject to this mandate and fails to purchase insurance, he or she will be required to pay a monetary penalty to the government uh, that over time is quite a significant amount of money. San Francisco, as we know, uh, is an incredibly high cost of uh, living city. Uh, we, in fact, uh, have the highest rents uh, in the country. And many, many people in San Francisco live paycheck to paycheck and do not have money left over to purchase health insurance at the end of the month. The federal subsidies that we receive uh, through Cover California are helpful. But the fact is that they do not go far enough in a high cost of living city like San Francisco to make health care affordable for people who live in these cities. And so I'd like to at this point walk you through a few cases and I'm going to ask Hillary to please come and help me. Uh, we have some slides. And by the way, there are copies of the presentation uh, to the site right in the as you enter the room if you'd like to see the presentation. So if you can please put up the first slide uh, and if we make sure that we have a copy for our members of the committee.
Okay. So let's walk through a little bit of how uh, Covered California works. As you can see uh, through this slide, there are three uh, plans under Covered California. Uh, uh, there is a bronze plan, uh, which pays an average of 60% of the cost of services under the plan. The first $5,000 uh, are actually paid by the individual. Uh, the first three doctor visits uh, cost a flat fee of $60. And if you uh, use this plan, the average household is projected to spend about $3,437 a year out of pocket under the plan. Uh, with, uh, if you are a household that has the maximum rate of utilization, you're talking about spending over $8,000 per year. So there's a reason why this plan is the bronze plan. Uh, very expensive and also requires a lot of the, of the employee on the front end. The silver plan is uh, pays on average 70% of the cost of services. The first $2,000 is paid by the individual. Uh, doctors' uh, visits and generic medications are not subject to the deductible. You pay $45 per doctor's visit. And the average household is projected to spend 2,456 out of pocket under the plan, and those who have the maximum utilization rate will spend more than $7,000. Uh, and then the gold plan, uh, which has no deductibles, and you pay $30 per uh, doctor's visit. If we can now go on to uh, the next slide. As was noted earlier, we are in a, living in a high cost of living city, and uh, let's take the example of a 30-year-old uh, who earns $15 an hour. This individual, which is pretty typical these days, works two jobs uh, with medium-sized employers, and he or she works about 45, uh, 45 hours a week. Their monthly income is about uh, $2,900, and uh, there is actually a study that was done that looks uh, at an individual who makes this kind of income and looks at what their balance sheet looks like at the end of the month. And it actually shows that if everything is taken into account, including the high cost of rents in places like San Francisco, this individual will be left uh, with uh, a deficit in her budget uh, of uh, $114. Uh, if you look at the uh, health care and the monthly premium that the individual would pay on, uh, after the Affordable Care Act subsidies that we're talking about, under the bronze plan that we described earlier, this individual would pay from $152 to $197, the silver plan $235 to $288, and if she wants to get the gold plan, she'd have to pay $327 to $362. Again, that's on top of the deficit of $114 that she already has. Yes. Sorry? Oh, yes. And then under the HCSO, uh, this individual uh, would pay 318 Would actually, would, I'm sorry. Under the HCSO, uh, this individual would essentially get $318. Uh, so they would be nothing out of pocket uh, for them. So if we go to the second example, uh, a single 48-year-old cook at a large restaurant earning the median income of $27,660.
You can see the monthly income, 2300 You can see that their balance sheet at the end of the month is much worse and that they actually have a pretty high deficit of 734 And again, uh, you can see that it would be really impossible uh, under the ACA, even with the subsidies for this individual, to uh, actually uh, be able to uh, pay for health care and then even the $422, very costly. Hillary, do you want to add something? So the payment due under that health care security ordinance is the money employers have to pay on this individual's behalf under the employer spending requirement. If there were no loophole and the, and the, and the employee could actually use that money, he or she could purchase a gold plan under the Affordable Care Act, even though there, there's a big deficit in so, the household. So if you go back to the last slide, if you look at the 48-year-old, uh, you're talking about with the uh, money that the employer would have to pay under the health care security ordinance, that employee could actually buy uh, a gold plan. So let's go to the next slide, uh, which is a 39-year-old couple with a young child. One parent is a median income uh, uh, salesperson earning about 28000 the other is an office clerk earning about 36000 Their monthly income is about $5,400. Uh, they still have a deficit. Uh, it's calculated uh, in a high cost of living place like San Francisco. And you can see that if that family wants to pay, uh, buy a gold uh, uh, insurance plan, they would have to pay as much as $746. Uh, the employer, uh, their employers uh, would basically contribute $565, which would allow them to buy, in this case, a silver plan. Uh, so I wanted to just provide some context uh, because I think it's important to really get some information about the, the economic reality uh, that's, that's, that's out there that's facing uh, so many families in San Francisco. There was actually a report that showed that in high cost of living cities like San Francisco, as many as 40% of the individuals who are qualified to participate in the Affordable Care Act uh, will not be able to do so simply because they cannot afford it, even with the subsidies. And the thing about the subsidies is that the subsidies are the same regardless of where you live in the country. And you can see that $200 in San Francisco, it's not going to go as far as $200 in other parts of the country. And not only that, but the insurance costs are based on zip code. And so the cost in a zip code in San Francisco would be much higher than in other places. Luckily, in San Francisco, we have the Health Care Security Ordinance, uh, which uh, is uh, a brilliant law that was authored by Tom Amiano and with the help of so many people in this room that created an employer spending requirement that mandates that businesses with 20 employees or more must spend money towards employee health care. The health care security ordinance is helping thousands of San Francisco workers gain meaningful access to health insurance. However, and the reason we're here is that there continues to be a loophole in this ordinance that has for the last number of years prevented more than 26,000 workers from using money that is required to be paid under the employer spending requirement for the purpose of buying insurance. These are the workers whose employers meet their spending requirement through the use of what are called health reimbursement accounts. 
And while in the past many of these workers, 26,000 plus, have used money and health reimbursement accounts to purchase insurance, the Affordable Care Act has made it impossible for them to use money in these accounts for those purposes. This loophole has always been a problem as far as I'm concerned and has only gotten bigger because of the changes in federal regulations. My law is aimed at closing this loophole so that these 26,000 San Franciscans have a much better chance of being able to afford insurance. My ordinance is also aimed at coordinating the way that the Health Care Security Ordinance works with the Affordable Care Act for the purpose of maximizing the number of San Franciscans who actually have health insurance. Today you will hear from many individuals supporting this law about how important it is to gain meaningful access to health insurance. In fact, uh, this was one of the guiding principles that the mayor outlined in, uh, through his Universal Health Council that stated that a primary goal of maximizing uh, that, that stated that their primary goal was maximizing enrollment in health insurance. You will also hear today from some businesses, and many of them are here, who oppose this ordinance. And let me say that I respect their perspective, and while I understand that some businesses will suffer uh, a financial impact once this loophole is closed, the fact that they have been able to use tens of millions of dollars that they were not supposed to use to begin with remains a problem. Uh, and uh, the reality is that we're talking about, over the last few years, tens of millions of dollars that were never intended for the purpose of being pocketed back that were, in fact, pocketed back. Uh, you may hear from some businesses that we should not act right now because uh, uh, their responsibilities under the Affordable Care Act aren't clear yet and we should wait to see what happens, that this ordinance is premature. And I actually believe that once you delve into the specifics of what we're proposing, you will see that this law actually simplifies the law for businesses. Currently, uh, under the Office of Labor Standards and Enforcement Rules, businesses are only credited for uh, up to 20 hours if they use HRAs and then can take back uh, unused funds after two years. Uh, I have heard that these rules, and I have spoken to many businesses, make it very difficult to administer the existing plans. Uh, and my law is very simple. Uh, you have to spend the money that the health care security ordinance has always required you to spend, and you can't get the money back no matter what option you choose. It's very simple, very clear cut. Now, you may also hear that closing the loophole uh, will lead to uh, the loss of jobs, and it's important to note that the controller decided in this case with respect to this law not to issue an, an economic impact report on the legislation, uh, and that's presumably because the impact of this law on the economy would not be great. And believe you me, if it were the other way, they would have issued uh, a report. When we tried to close the loophole in 2011, uh, the controller issued a report showing a very small job loss impact here in the economy. Uh, and uh, fundamental to their analysis at the time was the fact that the money would sit unused in health reimbursement accounts. Well, this money is not going to sit unused. This money is going to be used to purchase health insurance. Uh, my ordinance is designed to use most of the health care dollars to uh, purchase actual health insurance and get more San Franciscans insured. And I want to thank Supervisor Marr for joining us. 
Therefore, uh, even if it's some job loss, and again, we believe that's speculative, uh, even if there is some job loss, however, there will always uh, be gains by ensuring that these 20,000 plus workers and their families have access to insurance. I would actually argue, therefore, that the job loss uh, argument, in my view, uh, is simply not sufficient uh, to overcome the fact that for so many years, uh, thousands of San Franciscans and their families have gone without access to insurance. Now, let me point out that in 2011, when Mayor Lee vetoed the legislation that we introduced uh, to close this loophole, uh, he stated in a letter to all department heads, uh, and I want to just note here, there's a letter dated November 22nd, 2011. And, uh, and in that, he talks about how uh, it is important for us to address the fact that the money in these uh, health reimbursement accounts was not uh, being used. And at the time, uh, Mayor Lee, President Chu, Supervisor Cohen, uh, said that the watered-down amended version of the legislation they passed would close the loophole. We warned them that it would not, and the facts show that, in fact, it has not. But this is what the mayor said. If we do not experience these improvements, again, the use of money, if we do not experience these improvements, however, I, I believe we will need to strengthen our legislative approach to increase healthcare access. So the mayor in 2011 is on record saying that if we give what was passed an opportunity to see if it worked and that if it shows that it doesn't work, that he himself acknowledged back in 2011 that we needed to take action. Well, it hasn't worked, Mr. Mayor, and now it is the time to take action. Uh, the Affordable Care Act was signed four years ago, uh, and it is time for us to finally update our law. And now let me go through some of the details of how this law works. And first, uh, let me say that the legislation, uh, the first point to note is that it, uh, it uh, closes the loophole. If you can, this is slide five. The closest the loophole that has allowed a limited minority of San Francisco businesses to use standalone health reimbursement accounts to avoid the vast majority of spending required. So if you can look here, uh, the, right now, uh, in two, if you compare the numbers, in 2012, uh, which is the most recent data uh, by OLSC, uh, $107 million was collected uh, and put into HRAs and employers only reimbursed $26 million. They only reimbursed 24.6% of the total amount of money that went into these accounts. The other $75 million was pocketed back by them. So that means that in 2012, more than $80 million that was intended for worker health care more than $80 million was pocketed back by these employers. Millions of dollars, much of that money came in from consumers like you and I, and most of that money did not go to employer health care. Now, there was some article today in the, in the Chronicle where the head of the Golden Gate Restaurants Association said 
you know, we, we don't know if the law is, is working because we need another year of data. Well, I'm going to take you back to 2010. At the time, the same argument was made, you know, we need another year. And then 2011 came out with data, and then they said, well, we need another year. And then 2012 came out, and now in 2014, I guess they need another year. So let's, let's look at another year. OLEC's preliminary review of the data from 2013, which is the latest data, the latest data available, shows that in fact there has been no change, no increase in the employer reimbursement rates of expenditure. Uh, in 2013, employers collected $124 million that went into HRAs, but only reimbursed $30 million. So the reimbursement rate is 24.5%. It's actually 0.1% lower than it was the year before. So once again, the data does not uh, point to the need for any more delay in this matter. Now if we can go to uh, slide number six. So while the Affordable Care Act uh, outlawed standalone HRAs, uh, employers have now created a new mechanism that is actually called the Accepted Benefits uh, HRA that will allow them to continue clawing back the money that's in use in the accounts. Uh, and the difference between a standalone HRA, which is what we have had until now, and what we would have uh, post, what we have had since uh, January 1st, 2013, is pretty stark. Uh, with the standalone HRAs, uh, most employees were actually allowed to use that money to buy health insurance. And in fact, as bad as the situation was, 65% of employers that had HRA account, HRAs actually allowed their workers to use that money to buy insurance. But the accepted benefit HRA that we're talking about now eliminates that and no longer allows employees to actually buy insurance with this money that is being put into these accounts. Uh, accepted benefits HRAs uh, describe certain kinds of health benefits that are accepted from some of the market reform requirements, and they include vision, dental care, they could also include benefits covering medical indemnity insurance, long-term nursing, etc. What this means is essentially that uh, there will be, unless we close this loophole, there will be thousands and thousands of San Franciscans and their families who will have money sitting in these accounts but will not be able to use this money to actually buy insurance. Uh, they will not be able to go to a primary care physician, but they could actually end up buying some pretty nice glasses, even if they're dying from pneumonia. Uh, that is the reality that many employers, employees would face. If we can now go to slide number seven. And this goes back to the piece of the legislation that bolsters the structure of the city option under the, the health care security uh, ordinance for the purpose of getting as many San Francisco workers insured as possible. To that end, the legislation creates a new program called Covered San Francisco. Uh, when an employer chooses the city option to meet its expenditure requirements under the law, the Department of Public Health would enter the worker into one of three programs. And so you can see here uh, on the left 
how the law works right now, and then on the right, how it would work under the program we're proposing. For those that are eligible for insurance through Covered California, the Department of Public Health will enroll the worker in Covered San Francisco, where the worker will receive an additional subsidy to make insurance affordable and to allow a worker uh, to purchase more, a more comprehensive plan. Incidentally, Cover San Francisco is not a novel idea. The state of Vermont, to a lesser extent, the state of New York, the state of Massachusetts, also created a local subsidy program to make insurance affordable for their residents. Uh, so we're actually not uh, leading the way anymore in healthcare. There are actually other parts of the, of the country that are ahead of San Francisco. If the worker, however, is not eligible for benefits under the Affordable Care Act, uh, and they are San Francisco residents, the Department of Public Health will enroll the worker in Healthy San Francisco. And finally, workers that do not fit any of the two uh, aforementioned categories, including Medi-Cal recipients or workers who have insurance through a partner or other means, uh, the Department of Public Health will establish a health access account for that individual. Finally, while the combination of federal subsidies under the Affordable Care Act and employer spending requirement under the Health Care Security Ordinance have the potential to make health insurance affordable for most uninsured San Franciscans, coverage will continue to remain unaffordable for a significant number of individuals beyond the group uh, of undocumented immigrants who are now uh, not eligible for the ACA. Therefore, the legislation directs the Department of Public Health to continue Healthy San Francisco for any San Francisco resident who is exempt from the individual mandate under the Affordable Care Act due to economic hardship or the cost of employer-sponsored coverage or does not have an affordable offer of health insurance. Again, we're not leaving anyone behind in San Francisco. So I believe that as we talk about an affordability crisis in San Francisco, about the fact that hundreds and hundreds of San Franciscans, and including families, are being pushed out, that to address this affordability crisis, it is not enough for us to talk about housing. Healthcare is an important part of affordability. And one of the reasons so many people are being pushed out is because they do not have access to health insurance. And I don't know about you, but to me, the fact that more than 26,000 26, workers and their families do not have access to insurance is something that is not acceptable in San Francisco in 2014. So with that, I uh, would like to ask uh, the Department of Public Health, who is here, to provide a brief presentation. And we have the Deputy Director of the Department of Public Health, Colleen Shawa. Thank you very much. Good morning, supervisors. Thank you for uh, giving me an opportunity to talk about the proposed ordinance that's before you today. As, as uh, Supervisor Campos mentioned, I'm Colleen Chavla. I'm the Deputy Director of Health. And um, I just wanted to provide a little bit of context in addition to what a supervisor um, described before about health reform. We agree that it is um, the most sweeping social reform that we have had, uh, well, certainly in my professional career and is, really represents um, significant change and opportunity for people to get access to health insurance. Uh, ACA enrollment, uh, as you know, started on in October of last year and continued through uh, March 2014 for Covered California. 
and statewide the enrollment was uh, better than expected and here in San Francisco as well. Nearly 41,000 San Franciscans have enrolled in Covered California. This represents nearly 3% of the statewide enrollment um, and though we represent about 2% of the statewide population. And this exceeded our own departmental ex, uh, projections that were based on modeling developed by UC Berkeley uh, that 36,500 would enroll. At the same time, nearly 40,000 San Franciscans have enrolled in Medi-Cal, and this represents about 90% of our enrollment projections. And enrollment in Medi-Cal can continue through, uh, it, it, it doesn't have an open enrollment period, it can continue at any time. So the Universal Healthcare Council, as Supervisor Campos mentioned, really was established to look at the intersection of the ACA and the HCSO. And as the supervisor mentioned, uh, there were several key principles that were, that were defined under the, uh, uh, under the council. And the key findings of the council were that both laws can coexist, but that affordability concerns remained for some populations. They, uh, the report also included a list of suggestions that came from members of the council, uh, and the, the Department of Public Health has already been implementing some of the UHC suggestions. For example, healthy San Francisco eligibility was extended through 2014 to make sure that nobody was without access to health care services due to affordability reasons or complications with applying for health insurance. We conducted outreach for city MRA account holders during the Covered California open enrollment period to make sure that they knew that they could use their balances to purchase health insurance on Covered California. And we really began looking at the issue of affordability that was identified in the Universal Healthcare Council, keeping in mind the populations that were identified by the council, specifically people who were between 250% of poverty and 400% of poverty, employees of small business and part-time employees. We are working to quantify the potential populations and estimate the, the level of need and assessing the financial and programmatic feasibility of potential solutions. We agree with the intent of Supervisor Campos's legislation to uh, increase access to health insurance for people who can qualify for it and to address issues of affordability, barriers that, that may be um, in place for certain people. And we are committed at the Department of Public Health to addressing this issue. But we also feel that it's too early to create the parameters of a subsidy program that would, would prescribe program design in statute. We are at the beginning stages of implementation of the ACA. We are just five months in. So we don't know what the, what the uh, marketplace is going to look like in the next year. We need to understand how the ACA will affect all stakeholders, employers, employees, individuals, and insurers. And there's still many moving parts. Uh, the employer mandate, which is only partially in effect in 2015 for large employers and not in effect for small and medium until 2016. Uh, employer behavior is difficult to predict and data showing how employer behavior regarding the HCSO is changing under the ACA aren't really yet available. Also, consumers have a steep learning curve with the ACA and early experience suggests that a lack of understanding about insurance, <coughs> healthcare costs, and available options. Uh, and it could be another year or two before patterns begin to show uh, how people are accessing and utilizing ACA coverage. It's also very complicated to set up a subsidy program like Covered San Francisco. It requires a cautious approach and due diligence on the department's part to make sure that it is effective uh, for the individual and cost effective for the city. The cost of health insurance, as the supervisor noted earlier, falls into two primary buckets, premium and out-of-pocket costs. So subsidizing premiums doesn't necessarily address all of an individual's health care affordability concerns. Uh, 
plan rates and federal subsidies vary by a person's age, income, and geographic location, and as such, the age and income distribution of covered San Francisco enrollees would greatly affect the program structure and cost. And plan rates are expected to change from year to year. We currently have information only on the 2014 plan year. We also want to be mindful of the financial implications for the city. Once started, a subsidy program may create reliance on ongoing monthly subsidies to make insurance affordable for individuals. And while we think this is a, a good goal, we are mindful that this could create uh, a long-term obligation that could continue for a person's lifetime. We are also not entirely sure that DPH would be able to administer such a program, particularly once we are a provider on Covered California. There are certain restrictions about steerage of, of uh, individuals into different health insurance, and we um, hope to be a, uh, uh, a provider on Covered California, and that could be a barrier into the future. If I may, uh, right now, uh, you have a plan to administer a program that would allow people who can't uh, afford the ACA to remain in healthy San Francisco. So how are you able to do that? We, we allow the we maintain eligibility for Healthy San Francisco for people who, who do not have health insurance otherwise and otherwise meet the eligibility criteria. I just don't understand the, the change in sort of the administrative burden. If you can do what you're doing today, why can't you do uh, – we're simply codifying what you're saying you're going to do through the end of the year. As far as the changes to Healthy San Francisco go, that may be true, but the Covered San Francisco program is a different program and would require administration of individual subsidies to, to, to individuals as opposed to access to the department's health care services through our Healthy San Francisco network. Well, I guess the question is this. You know, the, uh, you've known, the Department of Public Health has known that the Affordable Care Act is going to go into effect uh, for quite some time. So are you telling me that in 2014, the Department of Public Health in San Francisco is not ready to implement the Affordable Care Act? I'm absolutely not telling you that. What are you telling me then? I'm telling you we are implementing the, the Affordable Care Act. And for people, and, and as the enrollment projections or the enrollment figures have shown, we have uh, outpaced um, our projections in enrollment. And people in San Francisco have more access to health insurance than they did before. And for those who don't have access to health insurance, they continue to be eligible for Healthy San Francisco. Well, I'm still not clear on what it is that's different about what's being proposed here, because you're still going to have to deal with the ACA unless you're saying that you're not ready. Uh, and, and we actually have been saying for quite some time, by the way, my office urging the Department of Public Health, we actually even held hearings because we weren't seeing much action from the Department of Public Health in terms of getting ready for the implementation. So. If that's where we are, if the truth is that the Department of Public Health is admitting that it's not ready for the ACA, then I think that we should know that. That's not what I said, Supervisor. <coughs> Covered San Francisco is a different program. Covered San Francisco is a subsidy program that requires the Department to look at uh, affordability of health insurance for individuals eligible for Covered California and make subsidies to help make that insurance affordable. We think that is a, a, a good idea to make insurance more affordable, but it is very complicated and not something that we want to enter into without having a lot of cautious thought, actuarial analysis, and study so that we do it right. 
once we do it, we don't, it's hard to undo something once you do it, and we don't want to do it wrong in the first, in the first go. Have you had no actuarial analysis done? No actuarial analysis has been done. In all these years? I mean, how long have you known that the ACA is going into effect? The affordability issues were not clear. The rates for the 2014 plans were not known until late, 20, uh, late 2014 or mid-2014. We, we didn't know what the affordability issues would be. But if the entire state of Vermont, the entire state of Massachusetts and New York are doing it, San Francisco has 850,000 residents. They are doing it through a statewide tax or other state funds. And it's not clear that we have the ability to do it in, in the way that we're doing it now. So do you have any alternatives? We would suggest that we study this longer. We think that it really merits a thoughtful consideration of how to structure such a program. I want to give you a case study of something that occurred in L.A. A Better L.A. is a nonprofit group um, that has used private funds for a pilot program that pays for premiums on covered California. Individuals earning between twenty dollars and $30,000 a year are eligible for, for federal subsidies, and a better LA pays for them to choose the bronze plan on Covered California, They're paying their entire subsidy. The pilot began in January of this year with 75 people. Today, enrollment is 16, and that's because out-of-pocket costs were considered too high for those individuals, even though the full cost of the premium is being paid for them. We think this is a, uh, a good example of why we need to put some thoughtful consideration into how we put together a program that would really help address affordability. As I've said, we are committed to addressing the issue of affordability. We just are reluctant to have a program design uh, created in statute at this time before we know more details. Well, you realize, right, that when the uh, health care security ordinance was put into effect and it was passed unanimously, a lot of the data actually was not known, and, and you actually knew a lot less uh, then than we know today. Uh, so uh, at the time, the director of public health, Mitch Katz, uh, you know, moved forward with the program and made it happen. So what's different about today? Director Garcia is not willing to go into a, an ongoing subsidy program without knowing the financial implications in the long term. Our department is projecting uh, heavy reliance on the general fund over the, in the coming years if we don't make course corrections to be more uh, effective under health reform, which we are doing. But we can't create another uh, financial liability on top of that at this time. And I think you know that we have uh, offered to work with you in uh, changing the legislation to make sure that there is no requirement, uh, uh, additional requirement created uh, under the Department of Public Health, and so we'll look forward to continuing uh, to work with you. Great. But can I ask you a question? Um, one of the things that I was really impressed with uh, the uh, health care security ordinance that I actually think is one of the reasons why it was so successful was the hands-on involvement by the Director of Public Health, Mitch Katz. Uh, now, I, have, I can't think of a more important hearing on healthcare that's happened in San Francisco in the last few years. Is there a reason why the Director of Public Health is not here today? Director Garcia had a conflict that, was, uh, that, she, couldn't, uh, that she couldn't decline, and I am here on her behalf. That's unfortunate. Okay. One um, colleagues, any questions for the Department of Public Health? I, yeah. Yes. Excuse me. Um, in your presentation, thank you for your presentation. Um, I wonder if you could give me some specifics. Um, 
In regards to the workers currently using uh, health <coughs> care reimbursement uh, accounts, do you know how many there are? Of, of the H health reimbursement accounts? Yes. I might actually ask if um, the Office of Labor Standards Enforcement can answer the questions about that on the reporting. How many workers, which means employees? And then um, related to that question would be um, how many are currently enrolled in uh, HSF through the employer's contributions? Um, I can answer the first question. Sure. Um, so according to the employer reporting forms for 2012, which is the last um, year for which we have published data, it was approximately 46,000 employees um, had access to HRAs. And they have access, but how many are enrolled? Donna Levitt, Office of Labor Standards Enforcement. I want to mm -hmm. clarify that that number of 46,000 does not include um, uh, the employees uh, who have the city's medical reimbursement account. This is employers who have HRAs that are administered through third-party administrators. So your second question um, is a different universe of people. And I, I can answer the second question. So the city, um, Department of Public Health operates the city option, which includes two things, the medical reimbursement accounts and Healthy San Francisco. And uh, the latest data I have show that approximately 43,000 people, employees, had contributions that were assigned to Healthy San Francisco. And approximately 57,000 people had contributions that were assigned to medical reimbursement accounts. And just to, um, to clarify, in the existing uh, structure that continues a medical reimbursement account funding can be used to purchase health insurance on the exchange. And then, and then I, this is um, probably related to um, Supervisor uh, Campos's um, questioning. Um, do you have any idea how many of the workers can take advantage or would take advantage of of um, Cover San Francisco? Um, we worked at it a little bit backwards. We looked at the number of people who would remain uninsured, and we thought that there would be about 37,000 people who might be uh, eligible for uh, some kind of subsidy for Covered California. Then um, I, I know that you mentioned you haven't really had time to look at what the design might look like. Um, and to dig deep into it, but in regards to a preliminary type of um, vision, do you have, knowing that this legislation is coming down, um, have you developed the first steps of this thinking? 
We've looked at many aspects of it, definitely looking at what constitutes affordability, what's our cost of living versus cost of living in other places, uh, what uh, goes into the cost of health insurance and how those can be, how, how such a program could be structured. But we don't feel confident that we have, that this is necessarily the right mechanism at this moment or our, that our thoughts are, are dealt at this moment. And then, and you mentioned it again, you know, this is complicated and so forth, but can you be a little bit, bit uh, more specific in terms of what the challenges really are? Certainly. I, th I think the mechanism, we tried to, to look at how to create some kind of subsidy mechanism that would be uh, compliant with the, uh, the ordinance that's before you today. What was complicating is the financial implications of that, of that program, that we wanted to make sure that a subsidy that was provided to an individual who was eligible for one was sufficient to make sure that it made health insurance more affordable for them. And because of the, the complicating factors of the difference in cost of insurance based on age or family size and um, the, the change in rates, we really didn't know what would happen after year one or year two or year three. And so really trying to understand the trends so that we can do a financial analysis is really where we um, need additional information. Could you, the way you're talking about it, you're, you're, um, it seems like the one, the way you're looking at it in the uh, program design is that um, it would be set up in a way that there'd be some subsidies that can um, go on forever and it just goes up with the price of the um, medical expenses. That's one way to look at it. I'm wondering if, if one can look at a program that's limited to the resources that's available rather than um, thinking in terms of the available resources currently under uh, uh, HSF and having to contribute through the general funds. So you're saying if there were X number of contributions already to that, um, dividing that level of contribution among the eligible participants in order to make subsidies? Right. So we did talk about that too. And um, what we don't know, though, is whether that would yield subsidies that were effective enough to make health insurance more affordable. So if I think about the, the Better Way LA um, uh, example, even though their full premium costs were covered, their out-of-pocket costs were so high that they didn't, they no longer participated in the program. It, so we want to make sure that we're buying at the right level of plan for the person that they need and the right um, uh, amount of cost sharing to help them make it affordable. I just, we, ha we don't have the information to do the analysis to make sure that the funding that comes in would be sufficient to do that. The mechanism that we have now is really through the medical reimbursement account where the, the contribution made on the, by the employee employer on the employee's behalf is used, can be used directly to purchase health insurance. At what point would you actually have the necessary uh, data? I think we would need at least the first year of ACA implementation data in order to analyze. That data probably wouldn't be available until uh, mid-2015. Um, to show the experience, early to mid-2015 to show the experience, and then some time to use that data to develop a program. So I would say 18 to 24 months. Okay, thank you. Supervisor Mark? Can I just have a quick question because I want to open it up to public comment. Uh, 
So, you know, we have preliminary numbers uh, from the Office of Labor Standards and Enforcement for the 2013 uh, calendar year uh, in terms of the rate uh, of reimbursement in these uh, uh, HRA accounts. Uh, and again, it shows that of the $124 million, only $30 million actually was used for health care, which means that 75% uh, was not. So do you have any, any reason to question those numbers? Uh, do you feel that that's accurate? I, I don't have any reason to question. I would just say that, that those numbers reflect um, a year that's prior to the changes that were implemented by the ACA. So those, uh, that, that, um, that rate of expenditure is consistent with the previous rates of expenditure. I suspect in 2014 it, it may be different because that mechanism is no longer available to employers. And you mean that, that it, you could actually see that there would be more uh, use under an accepted benefit HRA than uh, HRA? No, I was meaning that employers would likely have to choose another option because a full 40 hours of an employee's contribution could no longer be attributed to an HRA since accepted benefit HRAs beginning in 2014 are limited to 20 hours. Okay. Can I ask just a final question? Certainly. So what is, does the Department of Public Health have a message to the uh, 26,000 workers and their families that have not had access to insurance all these years? I would say that Healthy San Francisco will continue to be available for them, and those who have medical reimbursement, reimbursement accounts can use those funds to purchase health insurance on the exchange. But again, the HRA money is not going to be available for them to buy insurance? The medical reimbursement account, the MRA funds. So what about those employers that actually that are using the HRA? So uh, as I mentioned, the HRAs now are an accepted benefit HRAs, so, and, and they're limited to 20 hours per week. So is my, I mean, I, I could let OLSE describe that, but the remainder of the employer's obligation would have to be made in another way. And if that were made to the city option, we would uh, put that funding into medical reimbursement accounts that could be used Let me for ask it differently. Does the Department of Public Health have any concern that 26,000 workers are going to be able to buy nice glasses but not be able to uh, go to a primary care physician? Is that a concern for the Department of Public Health? They are able to go to a primary care physician within the Department of Public Health's uh, Healthy San Francisco program. So you, you want the taxpayers to continue to, to step in and uh, fulfill the obligations that should be fulfilled by the employers? I, that, I, that's not what I said, sir. Okay. Well, I think that the, the presentation from the Department of Public Health speaks for itself. And uh, unfortunately, the level of readiness for purposes of ACA implementation is not where it needs to be, but we'll get to that point. So let me call on public comment. Uh, I'd like to begin with Cecilia Tran, who is here on behalf of uh, Assemblymember Tom Amiano, and then uh, you, ha you each have two minutes. Uh, and I usually give three minutes, but we might lose a quorum given the number of people that are here, so I apologize for limiting it to two. Tim Paulson, uh, Meryl Boyce, Dave Nigo, Dina Lawn, Ron Silverstein, Regina DeCondrisi, Monica Verini, Jim Lazarus, and if you don't mind uh, lining up, uh, on our right, your left. 
Go ahead. Thank you. Um, again, my name is Cecilia. I'm with Assemblymember Amiano, who really wishes he could be here. And if he wasn't in Sacramento, he'd definitely be at this podium right now. Um, the goal when the assembly member introduced the health care security ordinance as a supervisor was very simple. It was to make sure that every San Franciscan had access to health care. And the intent of the ordinance was to take away as many barriers as possible. Over the years, um, we've seen that the city has become a model for making care available, but there's still obviously much work to do. We're glad that Supervisor Campos is here to carry on the original vision of the ordinance, and it's become very clear that there are still some changes that need to be made to um, preserve that original vision. Um, firstly, it's important to make sure that the employer contributions benefit the employees as intended. There have been attempts to get around this, and um, the legislation at hand will make sure that those employer dollars will be used in the right way to truly help people get access to health care. And secondly, when Covered California took effect, we found some people were falling through the cracks and were still unable to afford insurance. And it looked at that they might be denied care under Healthy SF also. The compost ordinance would take care of that, creating a much-needed safety net for those who were already being pushed out of the city by the ongoing affordability crisis. So to put it very, very simply, the city has a great opportunity here, and making sure everyone's health needs are met benefits all of us, and there's no good reason to pass this legislation. Thank you. Oh, to not, I'm sorry. <laughs> See, I was making sure everyone was paying attention, and they are, so thank you. Tim Paulson, I'm the Executive Director of the San Francisco um, Labor Council and um, the Labor Council as well as the rest of our health care coalition, I'll make it clear up front, um, strongly supports this legislation. Um, that being said, um, you know, we're very proud of the, of the, uh, both the Affordable Care Act for um, coming into effect and also the fact that the Healthy San Francisco and the San Francisco Health Care Security Ordinance, which we fought so hard for six years ago with, with uh, then Supervisor Amiano, um, became the, the lay of the land. I was involved in the, in the, all the negotiations were taking place with the mayor's office after this passed 11 to nothing. And I think it was uh, brought up today, and I um, thank you, Supervisor Campos, for mentioning this, that um, we were ready to rock and roll. I mean, there was some resistance just because of the political context. But we've already had that political um, discussion six, seven years ago over this act, and I think that um, to have it come up again is, you know, is sort of uh, um, does seem just a little bit ridiculous. We do have um, – I was a member of the mayor's uh, – Healthcare, Blue Ribbon Healthcare Committee. And the one thing that did come out of that committee was very clear, and that is that the Affordable Care Act and the San Francisco Healthcare Security Ordinance can exist side by side. And there's absolutely no way that, um, that, that anybody can, should be able to argue against the path that this legislation takes. We do have, you know, the, the health savings accounts right now which, where people are clawing back the money. We frankly think that with these accepted benefits, the loophole is actually worse. It is much worse, and there are tens of millions of dollars every year that are supposed to be going into um, some type of health care for, for the workers who qualify under the San Francisco Health Care Security Ordinance that are not. We do not need to wait any longer. Um, it, it, there is plenty of, there's plenty of data that says that this money is being clawed back, and we really want to do what San Francisco um, has stood up for, leading the nation on health care, and make sure that this is fully enforced and that the money does go into health care. 
fully support this legislation. Thank you, Mr. Paulson. I think that Supervisor Marr had a question yeah. for you. T Tim, I just wanted to ask, um, Ms. Chawla brought up, um, I think, Los Angeles's model, which she said a nonprofit called A Better LA. I, I think, Ms. Chawla, you were referring to, um, I think it's a Chamber of Commerce-created entity called A Better LA, but I'm just wondering if um, various health equity and labor groups in Los Angeles have um, have support that model or if it's purely driven by the chamber and larger businesses in the city. Do you know? I don't know that very specifically. I, knew, I do know very much, though, that the, uh, my counterpart in Los Angeles, Maria Elena Durazo, who's been following um, what we are doing up here, uh, fully supports that. I'm not fully aware of the, of the model that was brought up earlier. Okay. Sorry. Thank you. Next speaker. Good morning. I'm Meryl Bice with the San Francisco Community Clinic Consortium. I'm the Director of Healthcare Coverage and Access. And last fall, I had the pleasure and privilege to become a trainer for Covered California when the state couldn't get everybody trained to become certified enrollment counselors to actually help people enroll in Covered California. So we ran training sessions and trained over 115 um, enrollment counselors, 80 from the Department of Public Health staff and 35 from the consortium clinics. And um, when we got to the part in the training where we discussed the cost of the premiums and the cost of the co-pays, eyes bugged out, mouths dropped open, hands shot up in the air, and other people couldn't restrain themselves and gasped. Um, and there was universal agreement from the staff um, and that this is not affordable. People who've been on Healthy San Francisco, who've been using the Department of Public Health clinics and the nonprofit community health centers across the city, um, are not going to be able to afford this. There was a lot of disappointment in the room. People were really excited to help people sign up for Covered California. These enrollment staff at both the department and the nonprofit clinics are wonderful people. They have worked with these families since 2007 when HSF first started, and they were distraught. I mean, I had one person grab me at a session and say, I can't, I can't tell people this. This isn't what I wanted to give them. I want them to have full scope insurance. HSF is wonderful, but they need full scope insurance, and it's going to be out of their reach. Um, so they knew back in October that this was not affordable. I then received a large number of phone calls from individuals across the city. Oh, sorry. I will stop so you there. still have. Okay. Um, asking for assistance. One fellow told me he had been laid off. His wife had a job. She didn't have insurance. He said, well, there's just no way. We can cut our food budget, and then we can get the cheapest plan, but we can't then afford to ever use the services. And we can only do it this year because we're not signing up until the end of the year. We can't do it every month. So we could only be insured for a few months a year. We can't have, we can't afford it. It just won't work. The premiums are too high, and then the co are too high. Thank you. So thank you. I'm going to read a few more names. Uh, Ian Lewis, Dennis Kelly, Sid C., Barbara Sasana. Roma Guy. Good morning. I'm Dave Canego, Executive Director of Curry Senior Center, and we're a public-private uh, health center with the Department of Public Health. And I'm also board president of the San Francisco Community Clinic Consortium. And so, a couple of comments. One is uh, ACA is working on the ground for health, meaning we're, we're serving more people better based on plans that we've done a couple of years ago. So we're, we're really doing good. This is the health department and the consortium clinics on how we have changed healthcare. And I add this because we don't often hear that. We hear about access and costs. The work and the healthcare is going well. I'm here to support one part of your uh, ordinance, which is about extending HSF, Healthy San Francisco, for people past the age of 65. That is, uh, those eligible for Medicare or uneligible for Medicare um, will not get uh, 
Healthy San Francisco as well. So what you have is about 7,000 seniors in San Francisco who, who will lose their HSF. The assumption was you're going to get Medicare, but, but you're not. So we have people that are going into our clinics that are getting Healthy San Francisco, seeing the same doctors, seeing that their family goes, and being told, no, you can't. So part of your legislation extends that. So I'm here in support of that part of your legislation, and thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good morning, Supervisors. Jim Lazar, San Francisco Chamber of Commerce, who also served on the Universal Health Care Task Force as well as Mayor Newsom's Task Force in 2006. I want to first say that in spite of the political nature of all this, uh, we don't believe there was an unknown loophole in the legislation that was enacted 11 to nothing by the Board of Supervisors in 2006. Um, small businesses especially uh, need options, and in fact federal law requires options for employers, and using health reimbursement accounts has been an option that's available that has allowed many, many of the businesses to survive that might otherwise not only not be able to expand but would fold uh, because of the huge cost uh, for some uh, low profit margin businesses. But I think this, the legislation before us today uh, is not ready uh, to go forward to the board or to the mayor. Uh, I met with Supervisor Campos months ago and urged that a broad coalition be put together, as was done in 2006, specifically, unlike the task force last year of the Health Department, specifically to look at legislative solutions in light of the Affordable Care Act and covered California. There's no doubt that the uh, world we live in today is far different in medical insurance and health care than it was in 2006. So the chamber and the business community looks forward to sitting down with the health department, uh, with the members of the board of supervisors, with labor, to develop an affordable program. The charts that Supervisor Campos put forward themselves show that topped up insurance subsidies in San Francisco for covered California insurance can be done at less cost to employers than the current mandated spending levels. And if that's the goal, to give people affordable insurance, we want to sit down with you and make that happen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Lazarus. Next speaker, please. Hello, I'm Dina Lawn. I'm the Policy and Advocacy uh, Vice President of the San Francisco Community Clinic Consortium. I'm here to say I'm proud that I've worked with the group on uh, supporting this legislation. Um, there's a lot of details, and I don't have time to go into that in two minutes, but I'll just talk very briefly about our patients. The San Francisco Community Clinic Consortium has 11 partner clinics. We serve about 100,000 people, more than 10% of San Francisco's population. And as uh, Merrill pointed out so aptly, there are problems with affordability in the ACA. So our job, our collective job as a city that's been a leader in this, is to make it more affordable. Um, we look at the large numbers of dollars that are just sitting there unused as at the same time as the families that Merrill spoke about are saying, hey, I'm working, I want to get full coverage for me and my family, but it's just not affordable. And this is a way to bring that all together. Unused dollars, need for affordability. We can work out the details of how that gets done, but we think it's very important. We also strongly support the Healthy San Francisco program for all those that were unfortunately and deliberately left out of the Affordable Care Act. Um, so we got to make it work for those who are eligible and still have the Healthy San Francisco program for those who aren't. I don't think we can wait one or two years. I think people get sick every day and they need health insurance. 
um, and I urge us to move forward and work out how we're all going to move together on this. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. I have my notes on my phone here. I'm uh, Ron Silberstein. I'm the uh, founding brewmaster. I put together Thirsty Bear Brewing Company, and I'm also on the board of uh, directors of the Golden Gate Restaurant Association. Um, I, I support universal health insurance, universal health care, but not this legislation. And I feel that this bill uh, fails to mandate that all the funds go to subsidize insurance coverage for, for workers. It does not reward businesses that have the healthiest workers. Rather, this legislation promotes waste, inefficiency, and disproportionately penalizes businesses that hire the most entry-level workers. This legislation mandates spending, not insurance, not results. It tells businesses how much to spend, regardless of the health or age of a worker. It tells a business how much to spend per worker, regardless of whether or not the business can cover the insurance needs of the workers in a more comprehensive or efficient manner. It kills innovation and efficiency because there's no connection between the amount an employer pays per worker and the health or individual needs of the worker. If we want the city to spend a fixed amount on everyone's health care to subsidize health insurance for all, then let's do that in an intelligent way. Let's ask everyone to contribute to the city health subsidy fund. Don't penalize businesses that employ the highest proportion of entry-level workers. Rather, place a small tax on consumption so those who spend the most contribute the most to a city health insurance subsidy fund. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to read a few more names. Brad Billick, Don Beckler, Guy Garson, uh, I don't, Laura Trupelli. Hello. My name is Monica Barini. I'm a longtime San Franciscan. I live in District 11. Um, I teach adult ESL, part-time seasonal, at a local university. I co-run a screen printing shop, and I'm a dance instructor. Um, even with three jobs, making one living out of three jobs, I cannot afford uh, ACA insurance. Um, I've been a healthy San Francisco member since 2007, since it started, and I love it. I love my doctors, I love my clinics, I love the nurses and the staff. I have care, I have health care that I can access, that I can afford, and I want care ultimately. Um, this year I've chosen the pen to take the penalty over the Affordable Care Act because I can't, it's unaffordable care for me. Um, there's not much else I can give up to, to pay what is required to get insurance under the Affordable Care Act. Um, I hope San Francisco stays at the forefront of what it was when Healthy San Francisco started, keeping people first, uh, going towards covered San Francisco, keeping health, Healthy San Francisco, maybe making it some kind of program that's acceptable under the ACA, maybe aiming towards universal health care, um, something with low deductibles that's affordable for working people. I still believe in San Francisco, and I think we can do it, and I support this legislation. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good morning, Chair Campos, Supervisors Marr and Yee. Regina Dickentreese, Director of the Office of Small Business, and I am here to let you know that the Small Business Commission um, one, thanks, Hillary, for your great presentation to the commission, um, but does recommend disapproval, again, primarily around the irrevocable expenditures, same as in 2011. 
um, for small businesses, the uh, accrual form of managing the Healthy San Francisco is an important component in regards to cash flow management. Um, as Jim Lazarus said, the Commission does not see that the, the way that businesses have been utilizing the HRAs as a loophole, but as a means of really trying to deal with complying with the high cost of health care that the insurance companies, uh, they're not previously up, up until 2014 with the ACA, were not uh, charged for um, businesses. Also, um, I think... You know, the commission had representation on the Universal Health Care Council and the business community was there, and we were all in agreement with the goals and, um, and, uh, and really want to work on trying to find a solution to really work to the most effective means of finding a solution to really get to, I think, the, the target population that you're trying to address today. Though the irrevocable expenditure and uh, mandated spending requirement in light of what is there with the ACA may, um, uh, we think that there may be other ways to get to that. Uh, the current uh, HCSO doesn't account for a business to be able to either wholly or partially deduct individuals who are covered by their, employ uh, their parents or a spouse or by Medi-Cal. Um, you know, the HRAs were in place for businesses who did have health insurance, but that they had to meet the mandated spending requirements, so also had an HRA. Can I ask you a quick question? How is it that the Commission doesn't see this as a loophole? If you look at 2013, $124 million was collected for the purpose of health, you know, providing health care to workers. Only $30 million actually went to health care, and uh, most of the rest of that money did not go to health care. You don't see that. The commission doesn't see that as a loophole. No. I mean, the, as you I mean, as it's, it's not I'm, a loophole. I'm speechless, I mean, I, 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 no, I, 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 I want to say, I don't know. It's not a loophole. The, employee, the money was there for the employees to use and to be able to access. And for the majority of the businesses, individuals did just that. Um, and, you know, with, even with the city's MRA, we didn't have 100% utilization with the city's MRA as well. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Thank you, Supervisors. Um, my name is Roma Guy, and I was a health activist and then on the Health Commission and co-chaired the Health um, Care Security or. Um, and basically, I've been involved with this for years and years, and I think for today, the evidence shows that in our partnership with the taxpayer, the consumer, business, big business, small business, that the business community is not in compliance with this partnership. And as of today, we have that evidence. So we should close, whatever you want to call it, the loophole or where way they are not delivering. And we should just do that. And then that's part one. You should close the loophole. Please do. Secondly, on the trends question, you know, I'm very sympathetic that ACA was not perfect. Number one, the undocumented are not covered. What does that mean in San Francisco? It absolutely means for sure that healthy San Francisco has to go on. So that decision seems to have been made. Thank you. On the other trend, 
For ACA, the integration of Cal uh, Cover California, whatever we do next in San Francisco to integrate this is going to take years. So if you're looking for a trend for 100% confidence, it ain't going to be there for another six to eight years. Okay? Never mind 2015, 2016. You have to do your best in talking with partnerships, and I don't think we need a blue ribbon committee to go on for two years like I have been on on other health issues. We need our partners to agree under the leadership of the Board of Supervisors, whoever's going to be the champion of this, to look at establishing a cautionary risk, not 100% confidence. Thank you. I have a few more names. Uh, Paul Geffner, Gwyneth Borden, Pete Sidnick. I'm Sid C, member of the California Alliance for Retired Americans and Senior Disability Action. Uh, California Alliance for Retired Americans support your amendment to healthcare security ordinance. We want affordability and accessibility of the people here in San Francisco. That's it. Thank you, sir. Next speaker. Mr. President. Good day, sir. My name is Dennis Kelly. I'm the president of the United Educators of San Francisco. I used to see the three of you on those school board meetings, but this is a little bit different. Um, the United Educators of San Francisco is a member of the San Francisco Labor Council. We're also proud members of the Chamber of Commerce. And I'm here to tell you there's a loophole. The reason that I know that there is a loophole is because our friends in the Golden Gate Restaurant Association used to put out little notices in our neighborhood restaurants that said they unfortunately were going to charge me another three or four percent on my lunch because of this legislation they had to do it. Well since they've been turning a 75 percent profit on that tax they no longer put out that notice. So I assume that they figured out what this loophole is all about. This is not about loop loopholes and this isn't about quibbling about whether or not there are loopholes. This is about people's lives. We have teachers who do not apply for family coverage because they cannot afford it. That means their children are not being covered. Children who are not covered get sick, stay home, lose their education. This is critical to us as a society. This is something that we must move on. If it is not perfect for the health system yet, it will be perfect as we move along. It will not get better by putting it off for another year, for another round of statistics. It will only get worse. So I urge you to move this legislation forward. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. Thank you, Supervisors. Ian Lewis, uh, Hotel and Restaurant Workers, Local 2. You know, how quickly people forget eight years ago. Um, HCSO was passed unanimous, unanimously in this board, and there was nobody at the table at the time who imagined that employers would figure out how to reach in and take back hundreds of millions of dollars from workers' pockets, money that should have gone to providing health care for them um, and making them more able to stay in the city that we are increasingly being driven out of. Um, at the time, the restaurant industry figured out, as Dennis said, that uh, you know, they could impose a surcharge. Well, lo and behold, surveys found that consumers were more than happy to pick up the cost of that, knowing that it would go to health care. Again, consumers at the time didn't know. In fact, they hadn't even figured out the restaurants hadn't uh, 
that they could exploit this loophole. Um, scroll forward to today, four years after the Affordable Care Act, I am stunned, speechless, at a loss for words that our city's Department of Public Health and Administration doesn't feel they know enough about how the Affordable Care Act is rolling out in our communities. Um, folks in our industries figured out in 2010 that there, were, there was an affordability crisis built into the Affordable Care Act. And in fact, that's only got worse. Um, if the HCSO worked today the way it was designed to work eight years ago, uh, it would be so perfectly compatible with the ACA and let our city make Obamacare work in a way it doesn't anywhere else in the country. Um, we, that is why we need to close this loophole. Um, and I just want to point out that the legislation in front of you is designed in very similar structure to the original HCSO. It addresses the commitment of employers to spend the money the way they should and should have for the last eight years. Um, and it gives DPH and the city lots of latitude to figure out a program that works best for our residents. So I implore you, you. To, to see this through. Thank you. I have a few more names. Lori Thomas, Sandra Mack, uh, Makula Goodwin, Scott Ivester. Ivester? Please go ahead. Thank you. My name is Barbara Chisana, and I'm representing two organizations, um, California Alliance for Retired Americans, which is a lot of union people joined with other people. It's 900,000 people. And also Senior Disability Action, which is a San Francisco nonprofit supporting the, and advocating and educating for disabled people and seniors. I'm also a person in San Francisco and I live in District 6, Jane Kim's district. And um, we are probably one of the poorest areas of the city. And I want to say that aside from all the technicalities and the loopholes and who got this money and what that money and everything else that has been discussed in great detail here, I want you to think about the people that this is affecting the seniors who can hardly walk into Senior Disability Action and ask us for more help and referrals to other agencies. The disabled people who get up every day and struggle courageously on shrinking incomes for what they can do with their lives. It's, it's not to be slipped out of your mind by some hearings or you know, discussions in the corridor. It's a key aspect of what we are living in San Francisco for and fighting every day. Um, I really support this legislation, and we really support you to do it, both CARA and SDA. Thank you. Thank you. And just so you know, your supervisor is a co-sponsor of the legislation, Supervisor Kim. So thank you. Thanks, Speaker, please. Thank you. I'm here to support the part of the legislation that closes the loophole in San Francisco. There are several market opportunities available to businesses in the city outside of the city option. The only place that allows any portion of the health and welfare dollars ever to revert back to the employer is San Francisco. In the government contracting business, hourly health and welfare requirements have been around since the 1930s on the Davis-Bacon contracts and the 1960s on service contracts. Since the 1990s, there have been living wage ordinances in several cities, including New York, Miami, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, to name a few, that require hourly health and welfare benefits. 
In all cases where HRA contributions are allowed, they are fully funded to the HRA administrator and are made irrevocably. Additionally, there also is another option that is tailored to HCSO that serves the needs of the employer. There are hourly-based fixed indemnity plans that cost either $1.63 or $2.44 per hour that cover employees working as few as eight hours per week up to the 172-hour monthly cap. These plans are designed for both high turnover and stable labor forces. The premium on these plans is solely based on the hours worked each month times either $1.63 or the $2.44 rate. Employers can sign up any time during the year. There is no open enrollment period, and these plans run month to month. Therefore, there is no need to have an unfunded or revocable HRA to satisfy the requirements of the Health Care Security Ordinance, since there are other alternatives to the city available. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Next speaker, please. Don Beckler, I chair Single Payer Now, a group that fights for uh, national health care reform. I'm in support of this legislation. We're in support of this legislation. Uh, I live in District 8. Uh, in 2001, I got laid off from United Airlines after 9-11. Went without health care for a few years. When Healthy San Francisco came into existence, it became a lifesaver for me in various ways. Um, I totally support it. I um, am for plugging the loophole. It just really gets me a bit upset that the Chamber of Commerce wants to rip San Francisco off from $94 million in every year for these their, their programs. It's like all I hear from the Chamber of Commerce is let the city of San Francisco subsidize low-wage workers and pay for their health care, and they don't give a damn about the people that work in their establishments. Um, for the Department of Public Health, this is quite simple. Um, these facts and figures have been around for a while. It seems like you could just take last year's $93 million that was withheld from the city and divvy it up amongst those people who need subsidies to buy health insurance. It's, it's not that difficult to plan. I know a lot of health policy people. I would even contract out to help you out figuring this thing out. And it kind of irritates me that you're mimicking the beer guy in the Chamber of Commerce. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next speaker, please. Good morning, Supervisors. My name is Guy Carson, Executive Director of the California Music and Culture Association, CMAC for short. We're an alliance of venue operators, nightclubs, artists, industry professionals, and fans. Uh, joining today with the GGRA, Chamber of Commerce, Small Business Association, Commission rather, in our opposition to this ordinance, out of our concern for the sustainability of our industry, uh, especially those that operate, such as my own, on a very low profit margin, unable to pass on the costs to our consumers, and in some cases, such as my own, forced to close due to the high cost of operation. We have one of the highest costs, uh, uh, labor costs in the country. It's about to get a lot higher with the new minimum wage requirements and the HCSO, ACA true-ups, and we're looking, especially in the sense that the East Bay, particularly Oakland, do, are not laboring under the same kind of costs, um, a, a real shift in the paradigm. Uh, and uh, it'll be a lot harder on our members. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. Paul Geffner, Escape from New York Pizza. I feel like Bill Murray, Groundhog Day, but here we go again. Um, actually, I want to make a practical request, which is while you're attempting 
to fix this ordinance to consider the fact we I have a very real story to tell you which is what hasn't been talked about is this dividing point at 100 employees where the cost to the employer goes from a dollar sixty to two fifty five or something I'm not certain exactly what that is but the impact of that is that that we have 120 employees. We have one store in the Castro District that makes maybe $5,000. That 100th employee cost me $100,000. So we are going to close that store and 24 people are going to lose their jobs simply because of that gap. Now, if this law was adjusted, a simple adjustment, so that it was progressive as opposed to regressive, that the 100th employee would cost the extra 90 cents an hour, then entrepreneurs like myself could consider opening, you know, hiring that 100th employee. But because it's retroactive and that 100th employee actually cost me $100,000, it makes stores like our Castro Street store uh, inviolable. And we are, we are faced with closing that store and, 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 and 24 people losing their jobs. So I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. I think that's a practical component. I talked to the supervisor, Scott Weiner who's our supervisor in Castro, he agreed with that. He took it to the mayor, and the mayor said, yes, that makes sense. We knew it's a flaw in the law, but we're not going to do anything about it. So now, while you're adjusting this law, I would ask you you consider that component of it, at least to make that more equitable. Thank you. Next speaker. And I'm going to read a couple more names. Uh, Dana Vinikoff, uh, John Stead Mendez, Pete Osborne. Hello, thank you, Commissioner, uh, Supervisor Campos, and thank you, Supervisor Yee, for hearing us today. I'm Gwyneth Borden. I'm the Executive Director of the Golden Gate Restaurant Association. And I, I want to just say one thing first. This is not being against health care. This is not about being against topping up the subsidy. Everyone agrees that health care is unaffordable, and what we should be doing in this city is helping to support that. And if this ordinance simply just did that, we wouldn't be here today opposing it. Um, the issue is, obviously, is the HRA accounts, which we've discussed. And they primarily exist because the hourly spending requirement by San Francisco that doesn't take into account whether or not you can provide insurance um, in other way for lesser amounts of money. It's also because it's stacked in a way that it's, it hurts smaller employers. Um, as you know, the Affordable Care Act sets the bar at 50, and so all of the health plans that are being put out there and shopped on the, on the market are focused on 50 employees and more. Additionally, some of the plans that were mentioned that actually are based upon our hourly spend requirement rate are, are, are technically not allowable as standalone plans. They actually require a supplemental other plan to go with them. So it's not exactly true that those exist. I think it was also mentioned that the city's own MRA account had a 54% usage rate. So there is a employee usage issue across the city, not just in the uh, employer side of things, but there's a reason why maybe people don't have enough funds accrued in those accounts. Um, again, when we said the reporting period, there was a 24-month, and previously to the 2012 report, it wasn't a 24-month period, and that was what, what we were looking for. But I just want to point a couple things out. The accepted benefit HRA's accounts and the city option are not compliant as minimum essential coverage of the Affordable Care Act. So if the employer chooses to pay into the city, they actually will not be credited under the Affordable Care Act. And that's a real challenge that needs to be solved. That's one of the biggest issues when you're talking about unintended consequences that need to be dealt with in this legislation. And the irrevocability of the HRA accounts does not do that. It creates a business liability on the balance for businesses. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Thank you, Supervisors. Pete Sitnick, 
restaurant business owner here in San Francisco. I employ about 250 employees. Uh, we opened in 2008, and we were able to figure out how to uh, make our business work so that it balanced the needs of the guests, the employees, and the owners and investors. And with this legislation, I am I'm disappointed that there wasn't enough time and discussion and collaboration done to look at how to balance the needs of the employers and the employees and the city of San Francisco in order that this thing works. So I think it does need to go back to the drawing board. We are very much in support of taking care of the welfare of our employees. They're the ones that make the business go. And so I am not in support of this legislation. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. Hi, Supervisors Laurie Thomas. Um, also own and manage a couple of restaurants in San Francisco, and I uh, live in District 8. So. Um, a couple of points. I, I also want to say that I fully support health care. We provide it to all employees working an average of 30 hours a week or more. We pay for uh, up to 80% uh, of the premium. We wrap around HRAs with integrated HRAs and our HRA usage, since you have the new numbers, ours averaged about 45 to 50% on the pure HRAs. Um, we can discuss that or we can just move on. Um, I do want to just raise a couple of small points and ask that, again, as we're reopening the discussion, we, we address a few things. One is um, the perception of pocketing money. I know it's out there, um, and I know it's a, it's a bad perception, but a lot of our em employers like me are much like these individuals in the examples where the costs are so tight that if it was 100% spending towards health care at the rate set by the city, which is a 10-county public rate, not a private rate, that we, like many of these individuals, wouldn't be able to make our ends meet. And then the consequences are, like the gentleman from North Beach Pizza will have to decide, do we close a restaurant and lose those jobs? So I'm not saying that affects everybody, but that's definitely a concern, and we would, we would certainly fall into that with at least one, if not two, of our restaurants. The next thing is, is the city MRA issue and the fact that it's 54% usage. I believe the numbers in 2012 mean that there's $73 million, I believe, um, sitting in the city's accounts that are not used by the city. So if we're going to talk about bad behavior, we need to look at those funds sitting there as well. Um, lastly, the October 8th, I know Supervisor Campos, we talked about this, the October 8th um, start date, I really recommend we, we push that back to January 1st, if at all possible. Um, there would be huge ERISA issues. We'd have to change our plans. Um, that just doesn't really make sense. Um, and lastly, I just want to urge that if we do open it up again, that we uh, include those under collective bargaining agreements so part-time employees uh, can also be covered by uh, unionized Thank employers. You. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. My name is Sandra Mack. I'm with the California Alliance for Retired Americans, as were a couple of other speakers. As we're a statewide organization. We have about 900,000 members. Uh, we are a coalition. It says alliance, and that's what we are. Uh, we are a coalition of organizations. We represent community organizations like Senior Disability Action and uh, other such community groups, and we also have a number of people from unions, such as myself. I was with the California Federation of Teachers and United Educators of San Francisco. So that's the California Alliance, CARA. Um, 
although we are retirees, we are very active in supporting active people who are still working because we remember what it was like and what the struggle was like. I would like to say, first of all, that this we are talking about in closing this loophole, that it is not new money. Some of the speakers have spoken against it as if this were requiring new money to come from employers. This does not talk about new money. This is talking about passing along the money which has already been mandated but simply has not been used for its appropriated purpose. That's first. Secondly, as a retired teacher, I'd like to point out that as when I was teaching, it was in my earlier teaching years a real difficulty um, to know that some kids in the classes were sick. What was I supposed to do to those kids or for those kids? Uh, and balancing their needs against the kids who uh, were being exposed to illness. Under San Francisco coverage, I don't have to deal with that as a teacher. When I go into a restaurant now, I don't have to worry now about whether the restaurant workers in the kitchen who are serving me are sick and came to work because they were sick. Because Covered Camp San Francisco means that if you are eating in a restaurant in San Francisco, you don't have to worry about sick people in the kitchen. I came here on Muni. Somebody coughed behind me. I didn't have to worry that the person who was coughing behind me on Muni had a disease that he couldn't deal with, uh, tuberculosis or whatever. Thank you. Close loophole. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to read a few more names. Barry Hermanson, Betty Louie, Tony Kelly, Connie Ford, Tiffany Ng. Next speaker, please. Good morning. My name is Makula Godwin. I'm a resident of District 11. I want to, first of all, thank you, uh, Supervisor Campos, for your excellent analysis and uh, 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 suggestion of this law and closing this loophole. Uh, I am a member of, of various groups, several groups, including the Universal Healthcare Movement and uh, the Black Nurses Association, as well as senior groups. This loophole should be closed. We have had problems. Uh, I actually produced a documentary in, um, uh, the, in 2000 that saw that we were headed to major problems because government is not doing its job in protecting the rights, uh, the health care rights and accessibility for all citizens. I recently have looked at crises of, uh, of workers uh, in which uh, here in the Bay Area that do not have a health care um, system that helps the needy, the indigent, have adequate care, have adequate access to care. We must support all legislation that will address the issues of inequity and inaccessibility and the crisis that people continue to have who cannot afford the Affordable Care Act. This um, Healthy San Francisco provides a means to help those in most in need of having um, care and having excellent and adequate care, which all in um, several counties, most of the counties surrounding San Francisco are in crises. So thank you. Keep up the good work. We must have this legislation. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hello. My name is Scott Ivester. I'm a registered nurse at California Pacific Medical Center and a member of the California Nurses Association. Um, thanks for presenting that 
um, excellent program on what has been used for Healthy San Francisco. Um, I'm actually uh, not aware of all of those uh, increases for the emergency department patients. We have patients who come in all the time who are uneasy and their perception is that they have to wait for health care and health uh, reimbursement in order to get care in the emergency department. We try to focus on the fact that we're taking care of patients straight away. They refuse to have x-rays if they have what they believe is probably a, um, a respiratory infection. And so therefore, because they can't afford their um, health care, they wait at home until they're very sick, so they're at the point of being unconscious and therefore no longer able to refuse their health care. I am amazed at the fact that there is so much money out there that has not been used to put these people's mind at ease in order to achieve their perception that they can come in and get the care that they need. And we would appreciate as nurses in the city that we would take care of patients that are not so sick and that they would have this health care and be able to afford the new programs on the Affordable Care Act. Thank you, Thank you very much. I'm going to read a few more names. Ken Trey, Mary Jo Musney, Gus Feldman. Good morning, Supervisors. My name is Dana Vinikoff. I'm a leader with the San Francisco Organizing Project, which recently merged with Pacific, with Peninsula Interfaith Action, both are members of the PICO National Network. I'm also a member of Congregation Shars Ahav, which helped convince the supervisors at the outset to adopt the healthcare security ordinance, and we've been very interested in its rollout over the years. It's been the law for seven years, and since the Affordable Care Enactment five years ago, San Francisco has been working on how to reconcile these two pieces of legislation, how to meet the requirements of the ACA and make the fullest use of its opportunities. I served on a DPH task force that considered these matters for the best part of a year. <clears throat> and I'm pleased to note that although they could not reach a consensus on their recommendations, that the guiding principles that were unanimously adopted by the Mayor's Universal Health Care Council include maximizing enrollment into health insurance, because it's better than not having insurance, maintaining healthy San Francisco, which this legislation helps do, and also shared responsibility all sectors of society, which includes, I imagine, the employers who were mandated under the original health care security ordinance. And finally, to maximize affordability, health insurance options must be affordable for San Franciscans to maximize enrollment. And for these reasons, I support the ordinance. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. Good morning. My name is Rosa Gus. I'm here on behalf of Health Access California. Um, Health Access, we've been around for about 26 years advocating for everyone in California to have access to quality, affordable, and accessible health coverage. 
So first I wanted to start with the Affordable Care Act. And when it was passed in 2010 as a health advocacy organization, we understood the need for it, especially in a state like California that had a lot of people that didn't have access to health care. So we are proud of the successes of the Affordable Care Act. Three million people have coverage through the Medi-Cal program, the expansion of the Medi-Cal program, as well as the millions of people that have access to health coverage because of Covered California. But that being said, there is a reality that there's still an affordability issue where there are individuals that are in between, whether it's like an individual or families, where they don't qualify for Medi-Cal because they don't have the income qualification, but yet if they were to enroll in Covered California, the subsidies wouldn't afford them the opportunity to afford health care at a comfortable rate. And I think a few speakers already had mentioned that. And I've seen as an organizer, I've met people, families, individuals that have said this, that, you know, I can't afford this. I'm going to just, you know, do the individual mandate because me and my family can't afford this. So we're proud and we respect the work that San Francisco has done before the Affordable Care Act in making sure that there was a healthy San Francisco. But that being said, we do think that there is a continuing issue with affordability. I'm here in behalf of Health Access to say that we're in support of Supervisor Compass's legislation. I think one of the things that have been said, a few people mentioned, is that, oh, well, there's a need to wait, kind of wait and see. But the issue is that there's a population of people that have been waiting for some time here in San Francisco. There's about 30,000 people. So in support. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Connie Ford, and I'm here representing Jobs with Justice, a large coalition of labor and community organizations in the city, as well as my employer, who happens to be a new nonprofit associated with the Labor Council. We're calling it SF Clout, SF Community Labor Organizing Unifying Together. I'm here to say strongly that all of us have been in this room many times before about health care, and the main concern is having access for every single San Francisco to benefit from our health care system. It's not that difficult. It's not that hard. The main question here is who is going to pay for the health care? Who will pay for it? The vast majority of employers in this city pay way more than we are asking some smaller employers to pay. My employer pays $6 or $7 an hour for my health care. It's great health care. I appreciate it. But that's what it is. The city is asking under this system for the large employers to pay $2.44 an hour, the small $1.63. That is a great bargain. Who is going to pay for it? And who is going to pay for it is important because without it, these 26,000 people are hurting. Let me just tell you that out of a study that DPH did just a couple of years ago, people in neighborhoods in D10, in D11, in my neighborhood D5, are suffering higher outcomes around preteen term death, asthma, go to the hospital more for employer visits, and it's because they don't have access. We've heard this before. Close the loophole. Get this thing going. Help ACA be a much better system for all of us. Thank you. Thank you. I have a few more names. Mabel Landaverde, 
Elizabeth Young Vermilia Cardona. Good morning, Supervisors. My name is John Stead Mendez. I'm the Deputy Executive Director of SEIU Local 1021. We represent approximately 15,000 union members who work here in San Francisco in nonprofits, schools, special districts, and courts, as well as the city and county of San Francisco. We believe strongly that all people have a fundamental right to safe, therapeutic, and affordable health care. And certainly, all who work or live here in San Francisco should have coverage. We believe that was, after all, the intent of the original legislation. We believe that maintaining this loophole with a clear knowledge that it works uh, at cross purposes with that intent is unconscionable. And we support the legislation. We thank you for your leadership in tackling this issue. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. Good morning. Uh, good afternoon, sorry. Um, Yes, I need to tell... Um, you can speak into the mic or... ¿Necesita traducción? Yeah, okay. ¿Español? Sí. Yeah, mi, estoy aquí porque eh, me gustaría que el, el gobierno apoye, ¿verdad?, um, a la gente pobre para nosotros que tenemos nuestros hijos. Tengo un niño y yo necesito el, el health care, family health. Y... Um, so I'm here uh, because I want government to support poor people. I have a child, uh, and I'm here uh, to speak f for that support. Yeah, porque en en este tiempo no tenemos trabajo completo. Trabajamos un día, dos días, y no podemos pagar un un, un seguro caro o, o para las opciones que hay no ajusta. Es muy caro todo aquí. So right now, uh, many of us don't have full-time jobs. We're working a day here or there, uh, and so we're not able to uh, afford the insurance that's available, and everything is so expensive here in San Francisco. La renta está muy cara. Este, no podemos um, cubrir todo, la comida, la renta, eh, con el sueldo que tenemos, el mínimo, no podemos, no podemos cubrir todo. Rent is very high in San Francisco, and we're not able to cover all the expenses, uh, food, uh, rent, uh, everything that, that, that we have to pay to live here. Y es por eso estar aquí para, para que nos apoyen los legisladores, porque el gobierno, el gobierno gana, el gobierno no, no, no pierde dinero, y nosotros los pobres necesitamos. So I'm here to ask uh, support from our legislators because, you know, government is always okay. You know, the, it doesn't lose money, and uh, we're here to ask for your support. Es todo que necesito hablar, que nos soporten, que nos ayuden a la gente pobre en todo lo que necesitamos. Muchas gracias. Gracias. So I'm here. That's all I have to say to please uh, help uh, poor people. That's all we're saying. Thank you. Gracias. Next speaker, please. And I have a few more names. I'm sorry. Uh, Ed Donaldson, uh, Mitchell uh, Beard, and Sandra Barrera. Hello, uh, supervisors. My name is Betty Louie. I'm here to represent the Chinatown Merchants Association, and we are requesting that you not go forward with this ordinance. Um, we need to look at the larger picture for small businesses um, and the total costs involved. 
Um, we have the minimum wage, we have health care, we have sick leave, we have community benefits. The cost for small businesses also in this city is becoming unaffordable. Um, I myself support universal health care. I think it's important to have, but we need to have a more thoughtful conversation on how we are going to pay for the health care in the long run. Um, there is a lot of money that's been unspent. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, each individual has so much money in their each individual account that's appropriated for them. It seems to me that some people um, need the health care and some don't. And so how do we balance that out, that the healthy people who aren't using it, would they then give their funds to someone who can't? I think that's where the big gap is, is where the money, what you can do with the overage of the money. I also agree that the San Francisco, the city of San Francisco itself must understand what they're doing with their funds if they're just sitting in there. I was in healthy San Francisco at one point and I felt that the money wasn't being used properly, so I went to a medical reimbursement fund because, therefore, I could take some of that extra money, give it back to my business, help create more jobs. Um, right now, we're in Chinatown. We, we supply jobs for those people who can't get jobs anyplace else. And if our costs keep going up, we won't be able to, to sustain more employees. We're, we're just going to have to let go of more people, and that's not what we want to do. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. I should probably say good noon. I think it is about noon. I, my name is Barry Hermanson. I'm a Green Party candidate for Congress here in San Francisco, and a strong part of my platform is an improved Medicare for all. This is something that really would be a lot simpler and a lot cheaper for us uh, ultimately to implement, and I would hope that my uh, good friends and former colleagues at the Chamber of Commerce would actually be willing to work with us to help to implement that when the ACA allows us to do that in 2017. 80 to 90 to 100 million dollars per year. That is a lot of money. That's a lot of health care. And to have it be referred to as a cash management question, I find is appalling. Because it suggests that the intent of any business owner that is putting money into one of these reimbursement accounts is really not to actually provide health care, but if you know that you need to get 75% back in order to remain financially viable, I think there's a problem with your entire business model. Health care is crucially important for this community. We must invest in it. I look forward to, as I said, to when we can actually begin to work statewide on developing an improved Medicare for all, because it is far cheaper. In other countries, they pay half as much per person, and people live longer. This really makes sense. I strongly support this ordinance. Thank you. Thank you very much. I have a few more names. Susan Fang, Stephanie Hong, Duncan Lay, uh, Ben Blyman. 
Hi, Supervisors. My name is Susan. I'm the Health Policy Fellow at the Chinese Progressive Association, and I'm also a UCSF medical student, as evidenced by my white coat. Um, I think we, and I'm also from D11. John's my supervisor. Um, I think we can all agree that the American healthcare system is very fragmented and uh, arguably very broken, and the ACA was a huge step forward in addressing this, but it's had a lot of unintended consequences. So, for example, a number of our members are disqualified from federal subsidies to buy health insurance in exchange because their spouses' employers are offering dependent coverage, but at the full cost of the premium, which there's no way they or any most people, for that matter, could afford. Now, this means that working-class immigrant families struggling to make ends meet in this increasingly expensive city can neither benefit from Obamacare nor from the federal employer mandate, which was intended to build off of the current system of employer-based coverage in our country. And for those committed to serving underserved communities like me and my classmates, not having health insurance often forces us to provide subpar care and seriously can mean the difference between life and death. I recently saw a patient who was coming to clinic for a routine primary care visit when he began having a stroke in the middle of his appointment. You don't need any medical training to know that this was clearly an emergency that needed to be taken care of in the hospital. But he absolutely refused to go to the, go in the ambulance and go into the ER because he was uninsured and definitely afraid of the bills that he would face afterwards, literally risking his life. So our supervising physician was stuck trying to manage his stroke the best that she could in the clinic and now he is permanently paralyzed. Now, tragedies like this are happening because providers are being forced to choose between life-saving medical procedures and do, or doing more harm by slapping their patients with a crippling medical bill. So with supervisor uh, purposes legislation, we can do more and make sure that these tragedies no longer occur. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. Hi, supervisors. My name is Tiffany, and I'm a member of CPA, Chinese Progressive Association. Um, and I was born and raised in San Francisco from District 11, and I'm from an immigrant family, and I actually just graduated from college two weeks ago. Um, Congratulations. So have, thank you. So even though I have a college degree in my pocket, I no longer have insurance because I'm not covered through my college insurance. And um, I can't sign up with my parents' insurance either, and even though the Affordable Care Act is being implemented right now, I wouldn't be able to afford it because I don't have a full-time job yet. Um, I'm working temporary jobs. And that is why I think, um, and my dad is retired, and my mom is the only one working, so it's difficult to sign up for health insurance. It's unaffordable. So I think the health care security ordinance is important for people who are in this trans transitional period, trying to find permanent, permanent work, um, and that it can help protect um, healthy San Francisco, which is really important for people like me. Um, I think that families with young adults uh, should be able to afford health insurance, too. So thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. Hello, sir. Hello, Supervisors. I'm Tony Kelly. I'm from Petrello Hill over in District 10, where, um, where a child born in parts of District 10 today can expect to live 14 years less than a child born on Russian Hill today. And there are many reasons for that that I wish we would get, finally get to the bottom of, but one of those reasons is a lack of access to healthy food and to health care. 
And so I'm, I'm in support of this legislation that's here today for that reason above all. Um, so many of the arguments you've heard today are really attempts to revisit the passage of Healthy San Francisco a number of years ago. And it's the same, many of the same folks, many of the same arguments, oh, it's a bureaucracy, oh, we can't take on this burden, that kind of thing. And this is a settled issue in terms of the policy of the city and county of San Francisco. So I would urge to move forward because we have an identified funding source. We really should move toward making it work as well as possible. And with the introduction of the Affordable Care Act, we need to make sure that we actually get it to deliver health care and health insurance to people. But I want to mention one particular thing. At the Petro Dog Patch Merchants Association on Tuesday, there was a rather freewheeling three-and-a-half-minute discussion. Um, about this. And in fact, one supervisor's legislative staff was saying, come to this hearing and talk about the rising burden of, you know, costs on small businesses and trying to encourage people to go to speak to that. And I think that's actually a fair conversation to have. I, and I think the members here of this committee would be really well served to actually have a discussion about the total burden on small business of all the regulatory burdens from the city. But to focus on this one and to focus on the minimum wage coming up this fall, means these are two things that specifically put workers against businesses if we're going to keep the debate there. And if that happens and if that continues in this fall, well, then you really haven't seen class warfare until that happens, guys. So we should have that kind of conversation, but really it should not be part of the discussion about this measure or, frankly, about the minimum wage either because we need to do that to support workers, and then we can actually talk about supporting businesses as well. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I have a few more speaker cards. Kevin Kaywood. Uh, Kathy Burek, uh, Nicole Green, Amber Bauer, and Brenda Barrows. Great. Good afternoon, Supervisors. Thank you very much for, um, for holding this hearing so that we could discuss this very important and much-needed legislation. Um, my name is Gus Feldman, and I am here today with the California Nurses Association. I'm also a resident of District 8. And California Nurses Association, we are an organization of patient advocates. And patient advocacy, a critical component of it, is ensuring affordable access to quality health care. What we've heard today to the opponents of the legislation that's being reviewed today is that they are essentially wanting to wait. They're wanting to look at more review, get more information. If we do not act now, we are going to see tens of thousands of low-income San Franciscans kicked out of healthy San Francisco and of city programs and being left to fend for themselves on the statewide exchange, which has been established is extremely unaffordable. Um, that means more families being pushed, most likely being pushed out of the city and being subject to really harsh and difficult financial situations. We frankly, as an organization of patient advocates who know the importance and the impacts that not having access to affordable health care has on health outcomes cannot stand for that. And that's why we're here today to proudly support this legislation and urge everybody to close the loophole and make sure that all San Franciscans have an access to affordable health care. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. My name is Maybelanda Verde. I live in an Excelsior district with my mother. Uh, she and I both work for a cleaning company called No More Dirt uh, that provides service in uh, hill, uh, hotels downtown. My mother and I, as well as our co-workers, have, have a struggle hard to make sure that No More Dirt help us to get the affordable health care we need. 
Our employer play, pays close $10 an hour for healthcare that covers us and our families. That healthcare is so important to me because my mother uh, has suffered diabetes and, is, and if our employer didn't pay for that healthcare, her life will be in danger. My sister and her husband both work in a taqueria in Castro District. They will both be there right now if they didn't have to work to tell you about their employers. That taqueria has been paying into the city plan order to meet its requirements under San Francisco healthcare law. Uh, my sister and her family depends on their employers' payments to take care of their health care bills. If no more digger paid close to $10 an hour for Herkel and my sister Taqueria can do what it's supposed to do by paying into the city option, I think it's only right we stop other companies from using a loophole to shortchange their workers. If we don't fix that problem, more people like my mother and my sister are going to end up losing their health care. I have looked at Obamacare plans for my family. If we didn't have our employers paying money toward our health care, there's no way we could afford Obamacare plans and still pay the rent and buy food and take the bus to work. We are not alone. Please fix the health care law to rid of this loophole and Thank help you. family like mine get the most out of Thank Obamacare. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. I have a few more uh, cards. Tracy, Turk, John Eller, Ben Blyman, Margarita Sagan. Good afternoon, and thank you very much for giving us this opportunity to speak before you. My name is Elizabeth D. Young. I am a hotel restaurant worker. I work with Unite, um, Unite Here Local 2. I actually work in a restaurant, the busiest restaurant year after year after year in San Francisco. It happens to be at Fisherman's Wharf, and that restaurant's name is Skomas. Skomas employs more than 150 people. Um, I'm very happy to have my job, and um, not only are we the busiest restaurant, but we also have people who have been working there for over 40 years. I know personally uh, a woman has been working there for 45 years. I've only been working there for 11 years, which means that I am a rookie, and um, I still have a lot to learn. Um, I'd like to give you a little bit of background. Um, when I first... Uh, came to Fisherman's Wharf restaurants a long, long time ago, um, back in the 70s. Um, uh, I worked at a famous unionized house. In those days, almost all the Fisherman's Wharf restaurants were union. At this job, I learned um, well how a busy restaurant could be run when the workers are respected and valued, and also learned that the respect we received derived from our union contract. We were workers from all over the world. I met my first Chinese person. Um, I worked with my per first Chinese person from mainland China in that restaurant. Um, men and women who labored fast and hard in a crazy business environment. What we got in return wasn't just the money. We got a predictable, respectable work environment, a voice on the job, a set of rules governing the workplace. We also received excellent health benefits, paid vacations, time off with mandated breaks, even during the busiest shifts. Uh, we were proud of our jobs and proud of our stat uh, status as union members. I left that job when my daughter was born. We went to live in Europe, where we lived for the next 18 years. Fast forward 2001. Our family moved back 
to the states so our daughter could attend UC Thank Berkeley. You. Thank one you. Of my, I just need one second. Uh, we came back. I got a job at Fisherman's Wharf in a non-union house, and the conditions were terrible. The health benefits were terrible. What I'm just trying to say is we Thank need health care for all. We need decent working conditions. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. My name is Margarita Sagan. You just called my name. Um, I own a business, 57 employees. I provide health insurance. And I would like to say that I'm, I'm really uh, hurt, deeply hurt, by the attempt to vilify small business owners that I, I get in this room today. We are the fabric of what is best in San Francisco, what we do best, what we're known for, for the life in the neighborhoods, the activities that we create and support and foster, and the attempt to make small business owners feel, look like they are the ones that are pocketing money or clawing money. Even the Chronicle is saying we're clawing the money. This is, this is not accurate. I'm asking you. It wouldn't, wouldn't it be serving us all better if we could just find a middle ground where we can, can all support each other instead of being at each other's throat, apparently? This is my impression, and I refuse to go along with this. I provide health insurance. I have a profitable business. But health and all these instances, I, they are my main concern. I, want, I do the best I can for my employees, and they're wonderful. They appreciate, appreciate us. We have a great relationship. I don't like division. I like support and cohesion. And this is not happening here today. I, I'm, I'm running out of time, but I want to make known that we can work together instead of separating each other. Thank you. I have a few more names. Pilar Schiavo, Rose Augusta, uh, Carolina Consolaga, and I, uh, Kathy Burek and Greg Luna, and I apologize if I mispronounce your name. Um, uh, John Alarvathes, I'm filling in for Ed, who had to leave, who you called earlier. Um, so we're uh, I'm representing uh, ACE, which is a community organization here in San Francisco, about 2,000 mostly lower income uh, families uh, living throughout the throughout the city, um, and. You know, a lot of our members were part of the kind of new vision, uh, the model for health care that was passed uh, with uh, Healthy San Francisco, and continue to, to, to push for achieving health care, uh, just like you all, just like each of you have uh, very good health plans, um, and we provide as a nonprofit uh, health plans, good health plans for our employees. Um, and just like the last business owner who actually provides, sounds like a good health plan for her employees, um, we expect all, you know, all businesses to provide uh, good health care. And um, as we face kind of the highest wealth inequality, we also face um, uh, health inequality within our uh, lower-income communities. And if we're really going to uh, stand for the, you know, the remaining uh, lower-income working-class families that live in San Francisco, we need to come together and make sure all businesses are providing health care. Um, as well as uh, helping to keep uh, you know, families here in San Francisco. So we urge you to support this. Thanks. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. 
Hello, my name is Brenda Barrelson. I work at San Francisco General Hospital in uh, the Adult Medicine Clinic, which is one of the biggest medical clinics, primary care clinics uh, within the public health system. So um, we really need to cloak this loophole. I've been here before, you know, going, starting back from when it got implemented, trying to get to close, and I'm so thankful you're doing it, Supervisor Campos and the others. We really support that. But um, the other part that people need to realize is that within Healthy San Francisco, a lot of the care that people are getting within primary care is paid for with, with those dollars. The patient education, the new nurse practitioners we're hiring to ramp up so that we can have more access for patients, a lot of those things are paid for with those dollars. Now, if Healthy San Francisco goes away, then the system that we're building to be a great system to absorb people, and I think we have one of the better systems, it's going to change. It's going to make it go down. So yes, I understand the business's point, but um, I, as a city employee, had to sacrifice. I fought my faults, um, and everybody has to pitch in. And, and the businesses, whether they like it or not, need to help to make sure that we do have health care for everybody. Everybody has to play a part. The people paying the premiums, but they have to be reasonable, have to pay a part. The labor has to pay a part, and the businesses have to do their part. I think two of the three have already done that, but business needs to step up and, and really pay their part. Some are. All businesses are not avoiding, but the, the ones that are need to pay up so that the whole system becomes stronger for all of us. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello, my name is Amber Parrish-Bauer. I'm the political director at the San Francisco Labor Council. I'm also here on behalf of one of the working families that is struggling to stay here in San Francisco. I'm lucky that I um, work for a great union, that I have health care. My husband actually um, has an HRA. And I just, I really take exception that this uh, is not a loophole that restaurants are using to avoid their obligation to provide health care. Uh, most employers do provide health care. Those that don't... Um, you know, I've talked with a lot of these workers, and they're afraid to be here because they think they're going to get fired. That is not an environment where they feel they're being told, you know, we want to give you guys health care, but we can't afford it, so we're giving you this HRA instead. Um, a majority of those restaurants who do have them do have a surcharge where that, that, that mandate is being funded by their customers. Uh, I don't know if you've ever used an HRA, but I have. Um, I, I think I'm a fairly savvy person. I have the internet. I'm able to get online. I have a computer. Um, it's extremely difficult to use that money. So when people come up here and say, you know, our employees are only using 50% or 30% of it, well, I'm not sure if you know how challenging it is, but it's not an easy process process to use it. We actually still haven't used all of ours. My husband hasn't worked there for over a year. Um, you know, I, 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 I wonder if uh, some of the people sitting here have a credit card. Because I know my husband doesn't. He has what I like to call musician credit. He's a, he's a performer. He's worked in lots of restaurants. He doesn't have great credit. He doesn't have any credit. Um, so putting out the, paying those, that money to get health care and then get reimbursed is just totally um, unreachable for many of these people that work in these restaurants. Um, you know, if you don't have the money to pay for x-rays, uh, medica medications, preventative care, uh, then this is a loophole. 
And I, it needs to be closed. I, I thank the supervisor for his work. Um, it's necessary, and I urge you to vote yes on this. Thank picture. you. Next speaker. Hi. Thank you for having this hearing and serving on this important committee for this important issue. Uh, my name is Kathy Burek. I've been a resident of District 1 for 40 years. I've taught as a part-time instructor at City College for 35. I just thank you three are great. And, um, but I'm here for AFT 2121 uh, because many of our current students, especially many of our ESL students, as well as graduates of our culinary arts and hotel and restaurant programs, work in low-income positions and they need to be reassured that their health care will be covered by their employers simply in order to make ends meet. Um, one young man in my family actually works three part-time jobs now and struggles to cover rent and basic necessities, which at this point does not even include a cell phone. So when this young man can't even afford a cell phone, I'm sure that health care on his monthly income is not going to be affordable. Um, in addition to our students, we're finding that part-time faculty members are turning to Healthy San Francisco when administrative decisions are made to cut their classes. Um, AFT 2121 believes that education and health care are human rights. Uh, closing this loophole as soon as possible to ensure that more workers have access to health care is a necessary step in the right direction. Uh, we are lucky to have Healthy San Francisco and um, the health care security ordinance, and we believe it needs to be strengthened, and we should maintain San Francisco's leadership in health care across the country. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Laura Trapelli. Um, I started a business about 17 years ago in Golden Gate Park, the Beach Chalet Brewery and Restaurant, um, and we also built another business, the Park Chalet. Um, We've employed thousands of people over the years, and we have promoted from within, and we've launched careers. We have previous employees that have gone on to start their own businesses. We've contributed thousands of hours and dollars to our community and to nonprofits, uh, and we're part of the fabric, and we love this city, and we work very hard for this city, and I also find it upsetting that businesses are, as a previous speaker said, being vilified. We do offer health insurance. We do pay 50% for any full-time employee over 30 hours. Health insurance plans don't allow you to offer it for less than that. We need time. I'm not opposed to the noble effort behind HCSO. This current legislation, closing the loophole, it doesn't even totally makes sense to me because there's thousands of employees here in San Francisco, including thousands of city employees that aren't eligible for HCSO and or they work for small businesses that are not required to comply. So none of those tens of thousands of employees will actually benefit from this augmented uh, premium assistance. That's, I, I just want to say I oppose this in its current form and in the time frame we're looking at, I think we need time as a business, as businesses and as a city to really look at how we can make this work. There, how can we get the funding mechanisms to work, to be make sense for all businesses and for our employees? We don't want to go out of business and we're facing a lot of additional expenses that we're not 
even clear on how we can plan for so i just i urge you just to please give this some time so businesses can understand how a ca is going to work for our employees we work very hard to try to educate our employees on this thank you thank you very much next speaker good afternoon neighborhood services one of a kind health care it's the kind you read about it in a fairy tale one of a kind health care make a blind man see cmc make it work I knew along the day would come when we would thrive real free, make it be, do it for love, one of a kind, health care, it's the kind you read about it in a fairy tale, make a blind man see, CMC, may do it for love. One of a kind health care. Make a blind man see, make it free. Give us a city key for workers. May it for love. One of a kind health care. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Catalino. I work in a CPMC. I'm Greg Luna, and uh, we're both shop stewards for NUHW. Well, we're concerned is that about CPMC making 100, 100 million profits in a year, and there's some of my coworkers, some of them, they don't have a total access 100%. They only have a vision and dental, the medical, they don't have coverage that. So we're we asking you guys for that. Uh, Look at this loophole they're doing to us and to my coworkers. And uh, yes, we support your legislation. Like he said before, yeah, many of our members don't have insurance through our employers, so they have to do it through the city, and um, and they need affordable health care. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, I have another speaker card, Kim Tavaglioni, and anyone who has not spoken who would like to speak, please come forward. Uh, and I know that there, are, there were people in the overflow room, so if there is still anyone there, please come forward and you have an opportunity to speak. Thank you. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Pilar Schiavo. I'm from California Nurses Association. Um, and it was perfect timing to go after um, healthcare workers at CPMC because, you know, while the face of the opposition today is small business owners, Sutter CPMC is the number one user of this loophole. Um, they and, you know, the, the, a hospital that in the same seven years that the Healthy San Francisco has been in place, they made $4 billion as a hospital uh, chain. So they're making plenty of money. They can afford to make sure that their workers are getting the health care. And, you know, this kind of fuzzy history about whether or not this is a loophole. I was involved with Amiano's office when I worked at the Labor Council in crafting this legislation. This was never, ever, 
ever an intention of the legislation. This is not supposed to be a way for employers to take back the money that is intended to go to health care. This is a loophole. It needs to be fixed. And it's time that it happens. Um, you know, nurses see this as a health care issue because they're the ones who are seeing every day patients who are working, who are doing what they're supposed to be doing and trying to make ends meet, yet they can't afford insurance. They can't afford the medication they need. The hospital sends them home with, you know, life-threatening issues, and they give them two weeks of medication. And what do they do after those two weeks of medication is up? These are the kinds of realities that nurses are seeing every day. And it's very frustrating to hear the DPH that should be leading forward, leaning forward on this issue and leaning, leading this issue to make sure that San Franciscans are getting health care and the dollars that are intended to go to health care, and yet they are putting up a huge roadblock. That's exactly what it means when you say let's study it more and let's wait and see. That means you're not going to do anything about it. And we should be on the on the cutting edge of this in San Francisco like we have been for so many years. We thank Supervisor Campos for bringing this forward. We thank the supervisors who are supporting this legislation, Supervisor Marr, and we hope that, that the supervisors will lead on this issue and again get to 11-0 vote. Thank, thank you. you. Next speaker. Kim Cavalloni, NUHW. Um, my mom owned a small business here, and I'm a big supporter of business. I often go to restaurants. I'm against chains. I don't go to chains if I can avoid it. Um, and I feel as citizen of San Francisco, I supported the HCSO legislation. I pay it gladly when I go to restaurants. And the fact that it hasn't been spent on health care for members, which is what I was told, is appalling because I kind of feel like I was frauded. The other thing is, I support small business, and I think labor supports small business. We all do. But we all know there's big companies like CPMC that will take advantage of this loophole. And that loophole needs to be closed. If small business needs help, I am all for it. I know a number of uh, restaurants that have gone out of business, not because of health care, not because of wages for employees, but because of predatory commercial real estate rules where they come in and they raise the rents. The biggest chunk of most of the small businesses I know are complaining about their rents. So I don't think it's a matter of making their employees healthy, and I don't think it's about the rates in which they pay their employees that's putting them under. There's a lot of other reasons, and that should be explored, and I encourage the board to do that. But this loophole needs to be closed now. It's the right thing to do. Um, employees need it. They can't afford to go without it. And I would strongly encourage all supervisors to pass this legislation and to pass it now. And I want to say also I'm very disappointed in the Department of Public Health for their stance on this. It's really sad to see one of the greatest departments of public health to really take a stand and not support health care for all in this city. It's disappointing. And uh, I hope people will call them and let them know. How disappointing that is. Thank you very much. I'm going to, again, last call for public comment. Uh, any member of the public who has not spoken who would like to speak, please come forward. Seeing none, we're going to close public comment. Oh, yes. Hi, my name is Larry Edmund. I have coverage, California, but I'm under, I don't understand why getting coverage, California, you're not really as sick as 
some people who really need the insurance. I'm looking at it seems like we're dealing with housing issues here in the Tenderloin and for people like me, low-income people on Social Security. And I'm wondering, I'm seeing a balance where give me insurance and no housing, then people got housing and no insurance. It seems like it's uh, a catch-22 either way. Uh, you even like have housing and you don't have insurance or you have no housing and you got insurance to be on the street. Uh, I really hope that this is something that can highlight what's going on with this insurance and coverage. Thank you. Edmund Juice, it's my birthday today. I'm 53. I'm older than the president today. I'm three months older than the president. And I hope that his care and I hope that the first lady then will do something by Habitat for Humanity because if America follows San Francisco trend with the HUD housing, the war is on the people of this country and we need to not be fooled about affordable care. It won't do anyone no good if people are going to have to go to jail to get housing and insurance. It seems like that's where we're going. We're going backwards. So happy birthday to me. And From Pennsylvania to Market Street. We cannot have a thriving Wall Street while Main Street suffers. Thank you. I, I think it's only appropriate that we end public comment on that note. Happy birthday, uh, indeed. Public comment is closed. Uh, uh, Supervisor Yee. Sure. Thank you, Chair uh, Campos. Colleagues, first, first of all, I want to thank everyone for who came out and um, testified today. And it's clear from people's experience that we are currently not fully implementing the vision of the health care security ordinance and the uh, ACA, ACA. Also, I wanted to thank the Department of Public Health for, for their presentation. Um, I want to just interject a little bit, you know, um, as people were talking about their issues and other pe people that are supporting and so forth. It reminded uh, me of myself um, when I was much younger, uh, where I didn't have health insurance for the longest time, nor did my parents. Um, in fact, um, uh, the um, even, even when I had my first uh, I was going to say uh, first kid. I didn't have health insurance, and it was a struggle to even raise the money to pay for pay it off, and, and having that delivery. So, so I kind of understand um, where people are coming from with this. Um, the, but you know, this, there's, there's, and I certainly, um, in terms of your legislation, um, I fully support the notion of it. Uh, I really want. Uh, I see that the uh, HRA is, you know, it's, I'm realizing that health, uh, health insurance, health care itself is a very big puzzle. And there's many pieces to this. And certainly the HRA piece is a piece of that puzzle. It's not, certainly not the total piece. Um, uh, and, but this is an important piece in San Francisco that can help 
many, many people. And I, I also support the notion that somehow we have to look at this resource as limited as it is, but it could be very powerful in helping those that need it the most. Um, to look at those, that resource and see how we can utilize it the best way we can and not get be stuck with the original, necessarily the original notion of what it is. The, I, I guess when I was trying to question uh, the health department in their presentation, I was trying to figure out where, where is it breaking down? What is it that we really need? Um, one, one of the things that I, I'm very supportive of having this done, but I want it to be done correctly and the right way. I've seen too many programs, and I'm at the age where I've seen a lot of programs where the intention is there, and a few, a few years later, it's just like, what happened? Um, we need to think it out thoroughly, um, and I don't know if uh, what well, my, my thinking right now is I, I would um, like to continue this item and have these questions answered. And I want, I want the department to come back. If not, then we'll just go with what it is, okay? But I want the department to come back and say, what are the parameters? What are the issues that you're, you're um, envisioning potential hazardous um, issues? Uh, the, the, the question of who's paying, what if it goes, what if the cost, we've put ourselves into a program where the cost is going to overrun the uh, resources. So how do we handle that? Um, so that's where I'm at. Supervisor, if I may just ask you a question, because uh, I think it's really important to uh, recognize there are many issues here, but two of the larger issues are, one, the question of the loophole which uh, I believe that the evidence is very clear, that the loophole is there, that it needs to be closed. Uh, and I don't know that we need any additional information on that. Where I think that uh, there is an openness to make sure that we get more information is on sort of how the rest of the program uh, works and how it interacts with the Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering uh, if you have a perspective on those two issues or? Yeah. Um, my my willingness to um, uh, state that we should continue this is based on the second piece, which is uh, what the program might look like and how we can make it the strongest program we can. Uh, and not, I'm not talking about uh, waiting for two years from now or something. I'm, I'm talking about several months where people could actually get a handle on it. And um, and I know you might say. One might say that, well, let's look at the, um, the data on ACA. Well, yeah, that might be helpful, but I think we, um, for me it's not about the data from ACA. It's, a, it's about what kind of programming, what parameter, what's going to really be successful. Closing the loophole, uh, whatever you want to call that, um, the resources were intended for, for people to use for health insurance, period, to me. Uh, there are a lot of good businesses, and I know that. I mean, a lot of people get health insurance from their business, uh, from where they work. So um, when several of the speakers talked about small business, and they're, you know, you can't lump them all into one category. I certainly don't lump them into one category. I mean, 90% of the uh, businesses, whether they're small or large, actually do the right thing. 
Um, so it's, it's getting after those that are not doing the right thing. So I'm, I'm very supportive of the, the, the first piece, which is the, what you call the loophole. Thank you, Supervisor. Uh, Supervisor Marr. Thank you. Um, I'm pleased, Supervisor Yee, that I think we're on the same page. I, I'm strongly supportive of, um, of the closing the loophole. And I think the small business folks that have come out today, um, I'm in, in strong agreement that small business owners and their workers are the backbone of our economy, but no, um, no sick person in San Francisco should be left behind, as others have said um, in their remarks, and closing the loophole is absolutely critical right now. I think as small businesses and others come with different suggestions on how we can um, create a more efficient um, Affordable Care Act in our city that leaves no one behind and that accounts for the undocumented people that were not covered by the ACA and the many, I think some said 26,000 workers or others that are not being covered, um, that we should put our heads together to ensure that we have the most efficient program. I think Supervisor Campos's um, proposal is a really great um, one in my opinion, but I'd like to know from Ms. Chawla or hopefully if Ms. Garcia can come to the next hearing that we can have some strong suggestions and as others said, I think we cannot wait for a year to two years before making sure that we have health access for everyone. I wanted to also thank Cecilia Tran from Supervisor or from Assemblyman Amiano's office for really making clear that universal health care was the intent and I think this the 75%, for example, of the money, $80 million in 2012 that is pocketed by employers and not going to the health needs of workers, that that's definitely, um, I guess it, it's shocking, but it's not su surprising given we've known about it for many years. And I hope that today we can move this forward so that we close that loophole um, and ensure that everyone can be covered. But from what uh, Ms. Tran said on behalf of Assemblyman Amiano, I think removing barriers to many vulnerable people and families and children to having access to affordable health care is the critical goal. And I'm very pleased that Supervisor Campos, um, Hillary Ronan from his staff, and the Coalition of Health Equity and Labor that's here today are moving this forward right now because we cannot wait. So I'm really glad that we can move parts of this forward today. Thank you, Supervisor. Supervisor Yee. No, I, I, I just also want to mention that um, I spent most of my life in non nonprofit organizations, and um, meaning that it was, it's been a long time. So <clears throat> I remember in the earlier parts of my career with nonprofits, hardly any nonprofits I worked for had health insurance. Um, and then when we, when we started discussing the need, Many of nonprofits said this is going to kill all the nonprofits. Well, most of the nonprofits have health insurance today, and it didn't kill all the uh, nonprofits. Um, so I want to um, use that as, a, as an analogy for um, uh, some of the people from the small business that might be saying this. Thank you, uh, Supervisor Yi. Uh, again, I want to thank everyone uh, who came out, and I know that Sherry Soakland Kaiser left, but I, I especially want to thank her, who's done a lot of work uh, in, in making sure that we have 
uh, the, the most uh, legally sound piece of legislation that we can have. Uh, I think that where we are is, I think it's very clear that there is uh, unanimity on this committee about the need to close the loophole. Uh, and uh, I, I'm glad that's clear because uh, the issue of the loophole is becoming a bigger issue with time. And if you look at the numbers in 2013, the, the total amount that was not spent uh, on health care, uh, as was intended, was $93 million, 870000 So that's, that means that it's about $1.8 million a week where that is supposed to go to worker health care that is not going to worker health care. I say that because as much as I want to make sure that we give the department enough time to address the other issues with the legislation, I do want to remember this, um, this number of $2 million a week just about that is not going to provide health care to the 26,000 plus workers and their families. And, you know, uh, you think of, you know, 26,000 workers, you know, how many kids does that mean that are not being able to get that cough medication, you know, that are not able to see, uh, you know, uh, a pediatrician? I mean, you can imagine the, the expecting mothers that are not able. I mean, you, you just think of all the people that are being. So I want to figure out how we give the department enough time, but at the same time move forward to close the loophole. I also want to say that while I understand that this is a very complicated field, uh, I, I am, like many people here, really disappointed with the presentation from the Department of Public Health. I am really disappointed that uh, there is instead of thinking about how we can continue to be a leader in this area the way that we have in prior uh, times in the, in the, with the leadership of people like Mitch Katz, instead of thinking about how we can make things happen, what we hear is obstacles. And the problem is this, that we don't have the luxury to wait this ship has sailed. The Affordable Care Act goes into a, you know, has gone into effect. And there are individual requirements on not only businesses but also on people that we cannot afford to wait until 2015 or 2016, however time, whatever time the department needs. We have to come up with something now. In fact, we should have come up with something a while back. So uh, I am very disappointed. And uh, I think that uh, it is disappointing because I think that San Francisco is losing ground and we have gone from being the nation's leader uh, when it comes to health care to now being behind places like New York, Vermont, and others. And I think it's very sad. So I, I don't know exactly how much time is needed by the uh, department, uh, but I'd like to... Uh, suggest uh, that we maybe continue this to the call of the chair with the understanding that I'm going to try to bring it back as soon as possible. We'll work with the department to see what, uh, what is feasible. I'm actually thinking that if, if we can come back in a couple of weeks, uh, that would be my, my intent because I, I do think that there isn't a lot of time uh, to waste here. Um, 
But uh, I would I would suggest a motion to call to continue it to the call of the chair with the understanding that we will try to work with the department to to bring it back uh, as quickly as possible with the understanding that they need more information. Supervisor, you. I move it. So we have a motion. Can we take that without objection? Without objection. Uh, continue to the call of the chair. And again, uh, we're going to try to see if we can bring this back as early as in two weeks. Uh, again, I want to thank everyone for uh, being here. Uh, and Mr. Clerk, do we have any other business before the committee? That concludes today's business. Okay. Meeting adjourned. Thank you.